0: Welcome to School of Movies. Originally recorded Sunday 6th of July 2014, this is Beauty and the Beast.
1: Walt Disney Pictures presents... It's all-new 30th full-length animated motion picture.
2: Is anyone here? Mama, there's a girl in the castle.
1: A girl. A girl. The classic story of beauty and the beast. He was a lonely beast, cursed by a mysterious spell. And she was the beautiful young girl who could set him and his kingdom free.
3: She's the one. She has come to break the spell.
1: They were two complete opposites
2: to do with him. She is being
1: so difficult. Until something wonderful happened.
2: There's something sweet. Straighten up. And almost kind. Show me the smile. But he was mean and he was coarse <laughs> and unrefined. And now he's still You look so I'm so unsure. Stupid. I wonder why I didn't see it there
1: before. It's a story filled with fun.
3: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I beg your pardon.
1: Adventure.
3: Sacre bleu.
1: Invaders! <laughs> and dozens of wonderful new Disney characters. Keep it down. Featuring six new songs from the Academy Award-winning composer and lyricist of The Little Mermaid. Yes, yes, the man,
4: the here here. The
1: this holiday season, share the fun, the magic and the music of an entertainment event you'll never forget Disney's Beauty and the Beast
0: Welcome back to the Digital Drift Disney Animated Classics series With us again is Daniel Floyd Hello Dan Hey there And we're joined by Joshua Garrity of Kane and Rince and the Animation Archives Hello Josh Hello there Mr. Garrity joins us because this week we're tackling one of his very favourites, 1991's Beauty and the Beast. Rather an important one this was for Disney, wouldn't you say, gents and lady? Yes.
5: Absolutely, yeah.
0: If one were to quantify how important this was, just in general, sort of like, in terms of sort of like, up near the top with, say, let's just accept Snow White being at number one.
6: I'd say... See, the thing is, to put this at number two Mm -hmm. would be arguing that uh, The Little Mermaid wasn't the turning point. But I think that the two of them are very closely linked together in the sense that The Little Mermaid was the turning point and this was the cementing point.
5: Yeah, Yeah, I I think this this was the kick up the bum, basically, I think. Little Mermaid was the film that everyone thought, Okay, maybe, maybe Disney are going in an interesting direction. This film confirmed it.
0: Yeah,
5: yeah. And it is
0: surprising, actually, now when you watch it now, how straight this story is played. It's a straight fairy tale. And I was wondering while watching, is it even possible to have a successful story like this without genre subversion in the animated field now? In other words, we all know you're watching a fairy tale. Here, let's turn some of the tropes on their heads for a more unpredictable experience, basically. You know, so everything that happened with Fro- like you know, now, especially post-Frozen, what was the last one you can remember that really did just play it absolutely straight and didn't, you know, fool around with it in any way? And it doesn't just have to be Disney, but obviously, if we can, if we can trace the last Disney that did this back,
5: does uh, I don't know if Princess and the Frog would count. Ah, um, uh, no, well, no, that, that no, she turns into a frog. Okay, no, that yeah. completely subverts it. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're right. No, it doesn't.
0: Hmm. Also, it is in 30s New Orleans and it is all about jazz, no?
6: How are you distinguishing, though, between subverting and Mm -hmm. simply changing? Hmm. Because I would say that Frozen is actually pretty straight in terms of how the story is told.
4: Gotcha.
6: Although they do unexpected things with the characters that's not the same as in something like shrek where they literally are winking at the audience and saying we know you're watching a fair that's
0: true that shrek is massively important in this and we're going to actually talk about shrek on on other podcasts where we actually review that series um basically when shrek came along and went hey Disney do this all the time. Are we right or are we right? And everyone laughed and that was incredibly popular. And they're like a whole like slew of movies sort of stemmed out from that sort of like looking at the genre and the, the fairy tale genre. That was really kind of like the last point where Disney could do it straight. They were then suddenly fighting in a corner going, no, we can still do different stuff. Like, you but know, Treasure Island, only it's in
6: space. That's where I think they fell down the hole. And mm. I actually think that with Princess oh. and the Frog, Tangled and Frozen, they've gone back to that, yeah. take the fairy story and yeah. tell the fairy story. And that's why those films have been so successful.
5: Yeah. I think what, what they've done, though, is they've evolved those stories for a modern
7: audience. That's mm, what Frozen exactly. is. Exactly. Um, and that's
6: not the same thing as Subversion, necessarily.
7: Yeah, okay. yeah. I would agree. Yeah, I I think a good story well told is the core important thing. I don't think subversion is going to make is the key thing that's going to make a film work. Like I don't think we need it to for these stories to still work for us. I think subversion is a lot like it's a lot like a twist. A twist can be incredible and it can be something Mm. that makes you remember a film forever and it can be something that blows your minds. But it's not going to make or break. It's not the thing on which that the film's quality hinges on. Yeah. I think this I mean, is also oh, sorry, Karen Chow.
6: Sorry, I was just going to say, going back to the idea of, of um, where we've seen sort of straight fairy tales, as it were, or, or you know, stories done. Um, Pixar may use different uh, source material and, and, and different. You know, they, they may start with original scripts, but I think they also do that straight. Here is a story, and hmm. we will deliver it to the best of our ability.
0: This is similar to the whole uh, uh, dark versus light-hearted take on Batman. One would be mistaken to assume that the darker Batman gets, the better it is, or the campier Batman gets, the better it is. Ultimately, it comes down to the strength of the story itself. Subversion of fairy tale tropes is a tool to be used and, indeed, abused. Shrek 3, full of subversion of those tropes, utter beast of a film to actually sit and trudge through. It's awful. But Beauty and the Beast, absolutely playing it straight. But then again, so was Sleeping Beauty. One of them's a lot more boring than the other. Doesn't necessarily mean that it really rests upon the actual the story itself. That's but true. But in terms of just delivering a straight story where it's like, right, here is a character and this is what they did, leading all the way up to the end tarzan was the last disney animated film that i can put my finger on where it was like the last time they didn't feel like they were fighting in a corner going "No, we gotta we gotta change this around a little bit
7: Hmm. yeah in terms of the i don't know i guess you could argue winnie the pooh as well but it's i don't know that feels like it's a kind of a different category in a way like we're when we're talking about beauty and the beast and sleeping beauty and frozen Hmm. we're talking about the standard the basically the princess film the fairy tale film that disney Mm -hmm. is known for and in that regard i think like your sleeping beauty comparison actually makes the point pretty well a good film a good story well told is a good story whether it subverts or not but subversion can kind of refresh a genre it can bring something it can make a genre that we've kind of feel like we've seen a lot of and maybe grown a little bit tired of or grown tired of certain aspects of it and it can make it newer for us again and in that regard it's a little bit it's sort of a short-term effect because i think that that if like i don't think that effect is going to have nearly as big a difference 10 or 20 years down the line also if everyone's subverting you're not subverting
0: anything you're not turning anything on its head because it's already on its head
7: yeah yeah you're just conforming
6: and i mean in terms of of making significant changes to uh source material it wasn't only later on that they did that i mean the you know they they've we discussed this before that they changed the ending of the little mermaid um you know there's, they're not sticking rigidly to uh formulaic grim tales yeah and they wouldn't be as appealing as they are if they were
0: So how much do you guys know about The Beauty and the Beast that almost was?
5: Um I know that it wasn't going to be a musical at one point. Mm-hmm. It was just going to be a straight animated feature with just dialogue,
7: no musical numbers. Um I'm not I'm not sure about much else actually. I know a bit about the uh background of it as well. But uh I don't know how much more or less you know than I do.
0: <laughs> I, I sat through the presentation reel uh, that's on the uh, Blu-ray. Um, yeah, I did as well. With Sharon. It's uh, not exactly thrilling, is it? it? It's It focuses to begin with on uh, Maurice the father. Uh, I don't know. Is he, called, is he still called Maurice? I don't know if they even name him uh, actually. The father figure, and uh, he, uh, Belle and her sister. Their mother died when she w- they were very young, and then this father marries a wicked stepmother, and there's a lot of stuff about her trying to get matched up with Gaston, and it takes him ages to get to the Beast's castle, and um, they they basically line him up for for starting on be our guest. It's it's like fifteen minutes worth of stuff, and here's the thing. Belle's hardly even in it. She's sort of there, but relative to this where it's like, okay, here's the beast and now here's Belle and here is why you should care about these characters. This one, it's more like, and then this father, what's he going to do with all this stuff? He's got his daughters to feed and then the ships, con- the ships containing his rolling stock get lost at sea. And, like, like imagine kids around the world sitting up and going, oh, my God, the stock, the stock. Think of the prices <laughs> that are going to go down in the market now because of this. Uh, aside from, of course, the hundreds of hands who are lost at sea during this storm as well. But, you know, uh, it, it, everything's wrong with this uh, presentation. And they got just – it was one of those Black Friday – uh, things. The same thing happened with Toy Story, the same thing happened with Aladdin. They got told, nah, go back to the drawing board. And they did, and thank God they did. So Katzenberg is useful for something, if, not- <laughs> if nothing else.
6: That original version is much closer to the original story, though. Oh, yes, um, it is. It's uh, And again, this is what I mean about making changes is is not something new uh, to, to the way they've been presenting stories. I mean, Belle, well, she's not Belle in the original story, obviously, um, but she, uh, Beauty is basically trade goods in the story. Her father swaps her for his life. She doesn't volunteer. Yeah. um so it's it's a vastly different tone
7: jesus <laughs> yeah uh, richard Purdom had been wanting to stick a lot closer to the original story I mean, they would first offered it to richard williams who had directed the animation on who framed roger rabbit but he yeah. was kind of busy with his own pet project so uh and he recommended richard Purdom and and they worked on this story for months out in london the uh beauty and the beast story team and it is true to a degree that every movie even great ones start out terrible and only come <laughs> and only become good through constant reworking and, but i mean this story real clearly had a very long way still to go i think it probably could have been reshaped because i think most stories probably can with enough work but sometimes it is just faster and more fe- effective to just scrap it and try again and i think a lot of people write it off because i mean some people it's easy to write it off because it's not a musical or because it's in victorian France with powdered wigs and people who say words like coquette. But I mean that's just surface level stuff though. It's 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 what you said, Alex. It's that the main characters are not in the first twenty minutes yeah. of this story. Beast doesn't appear at all. Belle is just kind of a side character. We spend a long time focusing on her father and a long amount of time just watching Scooby Doo haunted house antics in the <laughs> in the uh castle before the father finally meets the uh, household objects still doesn't yeah, meet beast the objects. it's, it's, it's like, 20 it's minutes be a g- 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 ghost yeah no it's really it's <laughs> it's just dull and granted story reels are always more dull looking than the movie well, ends yeah. up being as well but still it's, it clearly was not working. Having and,
0: said that, when they first screened this at the New York Film Festival, it wasn't finished. Like, the first third of the movie was done, a lot of the, the end was all penciled stuff, and it had the musical cues and it had the voices attached, but it still got a standing ovation! That's how good it is!
7: Hmm. Yep. And uh, Purdom, after basically when they were told to scrap and start over, uh, Richard Purdom left shortly after, which... Understandable If oh, you've yeah, spent a, a long time working on something and you have an idea for what you want to create and then you're told to scrap it and, start, and create something else, yeah. a lot of people kind of uh, and I'm lose interest at that point.
0: Guess that Katzenberg didn't do it in a very nice way either. He didn't go, uh, guys, I know you yeah. were working on this. I know it's your baby. I, I know you can do better. He probably said, "eh" and just pointed his thumb to the door.
7: That does seem like what well, I would picture Katzenberg would do. We're <laughs> I mean,
0: demonizing
7: him and turning him into
0: a cartoon, but, but you know, he I'm makes give it him some it easy
7: for. I'm going to give him some points later for some other stuff he suggests. Oh yeah, no, yeah. But, uh,
0: uh, there's but, a particular uh, point in Aladdin where he was absolutely on the money. But uh, oh yeah,
7: I mean, so Clements and Musker were offered the director's chair, but mm-hmm. they were still pretty tired from finishing Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid so they, they so they backed out. Aladdin, yeah. uh, so he handed the film. And here, even you do have to give him some credit. He handed the film to two new guys, Kirk mm-hmm. Wise and Gary Trousdale. The only thing they had directed, the only directing experience they had up to that point was doing an attraction at Epcot Center. Yeah. And that was it. Arguably, maybe he figured that these guys were fresh and new enough that they would be pretty easy to kind of control and yeah they'd be pretty malleable and they would follow orders so to speak but he was sick of
0: animators coming to him and going but this is hard
7: (laughs) but still like it it still takes some guts to put a big feature film in the hands of two new guys yeah and uh he went back to Howard Ashman and Alan Minkin who were busy on Aladdin at the time and asked and he decided that Beauty and the Beast really should be a Broadway style musical and while that is another perfect example of Hollywood backwards facing, this worked once. Let's do the exact same thing again over mm-hmm. and over. Thinking, at this point, Ashman and Minkin are the two most valuable assets in all of the Disney Animation Company. So, yeah. it's and one of them was not going to be around for much longer. So I'm very glad he did.
0: Yeah, when when you look at uh, there's two linchpins I'm going to mention later on to the film, which without them you don't have that captivating film without those two things, both provided by Ashman and Mencken. Uh, There are two other uh, important people who uh, actually worked on Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Brenda Chapman, who went on to direct Brave until she was tossed off the project. And yeah, she, she cut her teeth here and handled a lot of the bell related stuff. And uh, Chris Sanders, He, of Lilo and Stitch, basically, like, you know, godfathered the whole project through, like, a lot of Lilo and Stitch comes from him. And as a result, that's why How to Train Your Dragon feels very much like Lilo and Stitch, which he also directed. And there's that correlation between these sort of, you know, two outsiders finding one another and an extremely powerful connection forming between them.
7: Yeah, a lot of great future directors on the story team for this film. This was uh, romanticized uh, by the uh,
0: animators talking about it on the uh, extra features. They're like, you know, this was the dream team all together and only for this one time because after this, they started splitting us up and sending us off onto these other projects. And it's like, well, I'm glad they did because that created the Disney Renaissance. Mm. But it also sells somewhat short um, all of the rest of these features in the Disney Renaissance. And, uh, you know, it's... uh, it was massively important that we have – I mean, it's basically it's kind of, I suppose, the Avengers. You know, you get all of these guys together and then you send them off on sort of these powerful single solo journeys, you know. Um, so why is it important that we start with the Beast? I think the uh... – oh, No, no, no. Hang- actually, sorry, Dan. I don't want uh, to, to stop you, but oh. – Josh has hardly said a word and I want to give him a word in because it's just been me and you for a lot of this series. It has been. I'm so sorry. Uh, Josh, uh, do you have any words on this? Um, I chuck the floor floor to you.
5: I I think it's important to start with the beast because it takes a long time before you see him. Mm -hmm. And also, um, the first time you see him, he is terrifying, uh, and uh, quite frankly, a, quite a horrible human being. Yeah. Um, no pun intended. Yeah, and um, y- you need that setup. You need that setup not only because you need to tease the beast early yeah. on, because it's going to be a long while before you see him, yeah. but you also need to understand that there is a reason why he's a horrible person. That the creators of this um, this film know exactly what they're doing, that they don't want you to sympathise with this guy straight away, that there there is a purpose to his cruelty. Um, uh, Because otherwise, if you just have that character come in as he does, um, at the point he does in the film, I think it would be very... I think people would be resistant to yeah. the arc that he goes uh, goes on during this film. I think it'd be a lot harder to like him later on if they d- if they didn't make it clear. Look, you're meant to hate him at this point. Don't worry. I've just thought. Brave. They introduced a bear apropos
0: of nothing and scared the crap out of Lyra. Yeah. Lyra did not expect that bear, and then the bears in it a lot. Mm. That was Brenda Chapman. She did not learn from this. You, you introduced the scary bit first and then the kid sort of, I, I don't want to rip into Brenda Chapman, obviously, but it's, it's just ironic that uh, the, the, the thing we came out of the cinema um, from brave was we really didn't expect that much scary bear, mm. but yeah, it, co- it correlates with the beast because for the first few years of her life, this is the one Disney film. Laura was very edgy about watching all the way through. She'd shrink and hide from the beast because of all the shouting but yeah, uh, Sharon, you have a particular soft spot for this intro and opening, don't
6: you? Oh, I do. This is my favourite intro for any Disney film ever. Oh, yeah. I think it's amazing. I think it for me, the fact that it was—it obviously plays on the idea of um, the the storybook opening that they've used in the fairy tale Disney's before, but it. Changes the method by which that story is being conveyed. So you have this tale that's being told in stained glass, Mm. which gives it a sense, it adds to this sense of it being very much set in the world. Mm. By which I mean a lot of the earlier fairy tales are kind of just randomly plucked out of the book. Well, yeah, and it starts with a book really, opening, yeah. Yeah, you never really get a sense of them being set anywhere specific. This one, you've got the, uh, first of all, you've got that deep canvas effect with the woods and the flowers and the castle layering on top of each other.
0: Similar to deep canvas, but on actually the deep canvas effect, which came about eight years later.
6: Right, okay. It's, the, it's, the, it's maybe caps, isn't of a it, where they're, they're moving length.
0: through the layers? Yeah, uh, yeah.
6: Yeah, but I mean, I think they they did something similar to this with the mm. uh, traditional animation pen and ink style before but it just gives it that sense of it's it's in a wood in a clearing Mm. over a river past a waterfall and here is the castle Mm. and it just gave me a really strong sense of it being somewhere and obviously the fact that everything is patterned after rural france anyway Mm. and it's france is specifically referred to so you do get this feeling of it's it's actually in our world Mm. Even I, if it's a magical take on our world,
5: I, I love the music uh, yeah. for this intro as well. The mm. songs get a lot of attention in this film, but the score in general is it's fantastic, isn't it? um, absolutely. And um, I, I just I like that it's. A subtle beginning as well. The music—it's just the piano playing, and it builds and it builds. It doesn't immediate. Like I really love the beginning of uh, *Hunchback of uh, Notre, uh, Notre Dame* as well, but it's like this really like we are epic kind of music that immediately starts. Like it wants you to get into this frame of mind of yes, everything is big and awesome and big. Um, whereas *Beauty and the Beast* is a much much more subtler than that it's quiet and it and it builds slowly and uh, it's it's just perfect intro to this movie
6: there's one thing i noticed actually the soundtrack version of this particular intro mm-hmm. and I commented on this when we were listening to it in the car David Ogden Steers says and I'm trying to think of exactly how the line is formulated unless he could learn to love another and earn their love in return and I commented when we heard that that, that actually puts a different slant on the on the nature of the love that is being suggested. it In a sense, it is simply that he has to learn compassion for other people and a sense of them caring for him too. It's not formulated in a sense that it is specifically a romantic love that he's looking for. But the version that's in the film, he specifically says, and earn her love in return, which puts a, it's not a huge difference, but it does put a different, edge on it
0: it implies romantic love it also implies true love
6: yes which got kind of got me thinking about this idea of if he has to he has to love somebody okay that's part one and earn her love in return at what point exactly does the spell know that she's fallen in love with him you know, and and this it kind of people hits. say
0: I love you and don't mean it all the time.
6: Exactly, and if it's if it's that he has to earn her love in return, why is it necessary that he tell Belle that he loves her, and why is it necessary that she tell him back? And I think that kind of formulates the curse as being something that's internal, that the the beast yeah. has to realize that he loves her, and he has to know that she loves him back, and at that point the curse will be broken because it's. It's about how he treats people and how he relates to the world.
0: Did you just intertwine Beauty and the Beast with the Matrix? Possibly. (laughs) No, being the one is just like being in love. No one can tell you're in love. You just know it through and through. Balls to bones.
6: Or horns.
0: (laughs) So yes, there is the wonderful Overture, uh, voiced by, uh, the narrated by David Ogden-Steers, who plays Cogsworth in this. He's also, um, is his name Radcliffe in uh, Pocahontas? Yes. The horrible, white, exploitative um, lord who comes in, bringing all the poor people to come and dig up his gold. Uh, you literally couldn't get three more completely different characters. He also plays Jamba in Lilo and Stitch, the the, uh, Russian sounding doctor who's an alien who wants to, you know, he, he wants Stitch to be the best possible destroying machine he can be, but is quite happy to take him apart because he's broken because he cares about Lilo. David Ogden Steers really is rather fantastic.
7: He is. Cogsworth is one of my favorite voices. Oh yeah. Like his voc his vocal performance just makes me laugh every time. It's a
0: thankless task as well, because the kids are like, oh, old Cogsworth, no one you know, no one's listening to you. He's like Sebastian, the essential sourpuss. You need somebody going, This he's like C3PO. This is, you know, stop this at once. So that basically the film doesn't get disappear up its own romance.
5: I do feel um uh, Cogsworth is a bit more justified Mm. because the film shows you how terrifying the beast is when you uh, do the opposite of what he demands. Whereas whereas Sebastian I mean um, Ariel's father is a bit horrible towards the beginning but you get the sense that he's a good man deep down. You might Um, eat crabs though. Yeah. (laughs) Those fish are (laughs) carnivores. Yeah. I mean, A-
0: Ariel, when, when she's given fish uh, at, um, <laughs> at the uh, palace, she tucks in. She's not like, know this what is Flounder's arms.
2: If I gave Ariel fish, I'd I be an abomination. abomination.
5: <laughs> Carry on, Josh. But no, I, I think uh, Cogsworth is definitely a character you like more as you uh, grow o- uh, older as an audience member. As a kid, he's definitely the character you go, "Oh, shut up!" But as an adult, you're like, "No, I kind of yeah, understand he's why he's he's got a point." Because I, I don't know, I. At this point, I'm pretty sure the beast would kill somebody. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not entirely sure that's out of the question at this point in the film. Um, <laughs> now, now yeah. you know the master's bloodlust; it must be sated.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh God, you could imagine, like you know, in, in 20 years, if if the spell hadn't been broken and the beast had become more and more feral, it would be Cogsworth's
7: job to lure people to the castle, castle for the beast to eat. <laughs> in the original little real thing we saw didn't it end with like uh that the father had been at the he'd met the enchanted objects they'd given him tea and made him at home and then he fell asleep and then basically they like cog the clock kind of like clapped and the uh basically the household objects basically carried him off yeah. as if basically they were imprisoning him
0: no yeah yeah Oof. Yeah, the uh, whole um, moving, silent, non speaking household objects could actually have come off as really creepy. Uh, But uh, they they played it absolutely uh, spot on, as we'll talk about during the Be Our Guest section. And we're not even out of the overture yet.
8: Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. But then, one winter's night, an old beggar woman came to the castle and offered him a single rose in return for shelter from the bitter cold, repulsed by her haggard appearance. The prince sneered at the gift and turned the old woman away, but she warned him not to be deceived by appearances, for beauty is found within. And when he dismissed her again, the old woman's ugliness melted away to reveal a beautiful enchantress. The prince tried to apologize, but it was too late, for she had seen that there was no love in his heart. And as punishment, she transformed him into a hideous beast and placed a powerful spell on the castle and all who lived there. Ashamed of his monstrous form, the beast concealed himself inside his castle with a magic mirror as his only window to the outside world. The rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose which would bloom until his 21st year. If he could learn to love another and earn their love in return by the time the last petal fell, then the spell would be broken. If not, he would be doomed to remain a beast for all time. As the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope. For who could ever learn to love? A beast.
0: OK, right. Uh, so the prologue then leads on to some light opera with uh, Belle singing her intro. And this was, you know, people were uh, um, shifting uncomfortably, thinking, oh, God, can, will will people stomach this? Will people put up with a Broadway musical suddenly in the, uh, uh, the cinema? The, the short answer is yes. People immediately engaged with it. Um, I, there are many reasons why. One of them being to actually go and see a Broadway musical is flipping expensive. So to actually sit down to one for the price of a a movie ticket, you go, oh, okay, right, okay. So it's starting up and you've got all this stuff happening and it's cartoon characters, but that's fine because you're an adult, you know, with, with bringing the kids there. The kids are loving it because they like singing. Uh, it, ultimately, the amount of musical um, stuff that goes on in school su- and the amount of love of music that kids have suggests that kids like singing. And it's a, a jaunty, fun tune. It's full of wordplay. Uh, it's got loads of things going on. There's nothing not to like about this.
7: Beyond so, that yeah. the Broadway musical almost didn't exist still at that point in time yeah. musicals were, had fallen way out of favor in general and a lot of them were more off broadway so it's really specifically little shop like,
0: of horrors which was off 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 broadway
7: <laughs> yeah it was things like little it was basically the disney renaissance that brought the broadway musical back yeah it, mm. yeah
5: I have to say, I'm
7: really impressed
5: that the film started with this song, Mm. because this whole song is characterization for Belle. Yeah. Like, it's getting you to understand how she thinks about the world, what she thinks about the people in this village, and what, you know, the people in the village think of her. So after the song, you immediately have a sense of who Belle is, uh, you know, what her you know objective in life is like what she loves what she doesn't like and what everyone thinks of her it's great and they do it in like five minutes it's fantastic it's an i want song
0: that uh, we've, we've mentioned repeatedly before it's the you know this is the song that the heroine sings in the first reel or the, the the first act and you know she holds her hands over her heart and says i want this and the entire audience breathes in and goes we also want this and suddenly you're, you're with the show because you want to see this person get what they want. And especially if what they want isn't actually asking too much. And especially yeah. if what they want sort of runs in line with with what the romantic hearts are the people in the audience. Which, let's face it. If you're going to see a Broadway musical, it's for one of two reasons. One, you have a romantic heart or a romantic soul and you want to be swept up in it. Or two, you're with someone who's like that. <laughs> and you're paying for the tickets. Um, I, I...
5: I think Belle has the most relatable desire of um, almost all of the Disney princesses from yeah. this period, because all she wants is something more than her provincial life. Just mm. she want, She can't really describe it or solidify it. She just knows that there's something out there. She just wants to go out into the world and experience something new and different, mm. and and we can all relate to that. Yeah. We've all felt like that, and I think that's just as a motivation for a character. That's fantastic. She's that's Bilbo f- Baggins. Yeah,
7: exactly. Yeah, she she feels. I mean, a lot like Ariel. She feels like the place she currently is does not fit her, and she doesn't really fit in it. And the song makes it evident that everyone else in that place also feels that she does not fit in this area. Mm. And but unlike Ariel, the thing I like about Belle most is that she never loses agency over this story in this story. Like she's never set aside without any control and someone mm. else has to come in and finish the story for her basically. Yeah.
0: She's probably, which, right. which
7: is the one, th- which is the one thing that re- like that really kind of sucked in the little mermaid toward the, toward the very end. Hmm.
5: Also, uh, she she doesn't lose sight of what's important. Like I feel like Ariel's a bit too quick to abandon her life and everything that she had before. Whereas Belle, she's still very loyal to her father, and they do a great job of establishing the relationship between these two. It's a very healthy and loving relationship, and she's not going to abandon him just to you know explore some dreams she's had. She wants to stick with him. She wants to make sure that he's healthy and happy.
0: She's very good she f- at prioritizing. When uh, she sees him in pain and and maybe dying in the magic mirror, she obviously wants to stay with the beast, but she doesn't even like wrestle with it. And kind of, I've really like to stay and 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 be your princess, but I really must go. It's a case of I've got to go right now.
7: Yeah, she feels much more grown up than Ariel, and which she would, she's older. But Ariel yeah. feels very much teenager, very much passion, kind of youngest daughter fire, as well, fire in her heart. Like I have, I have must have this thing that I. I I need this. Whereas Belle is much more measured and she makes more calculating decisions and she does have a better sense of priorities. This is a
0: cunning combination of The Sound of Music, the opening track from The Sound of Music, and How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria. It's got the townspeople singing, oh, that girl is strange, no question. And, you know, they're disapproving of her, but they all like her. You know, they, they, it's, it's clear that because everyone's sort of like, you know, this, this she's an oddball, but she's likable. And she, in return, doesn't dislike them. She just wants more. So it's well measured to the point of feeling of, of everyone really feeling a little uncomfortable. But at the same time, there's no hate involved. If she hated the town and they didn't hate her, she looks horrible. If she liked the town and they hate her, they look horrible. <laughs> It's, it's really the only way that you can play it and have everyone still come off feeling like what's about to happen is what's right.
6: She's very inoffensive, though, Belle. If you look at her as a character, mm. um, she's kind of set up to be the ideal aspirational figure for a young girl. She is... They Everybody goes on about how beautiful she is, but she actually looks, if you take her features one by one, she's sort of the average girl. She's got brown hair, brown eyes, uh, uh, a nice figure, but nothing to particularly write home about. She's, she's kind of... Average, really, especially when you've got those three big busty blondes knocking around the village. It seems a little odd that that Gaston would consider Belle to be the most beautiful when there's these girls who fit the more traditional definition of what actually constitutes beauty. Um, but if you look at the... the I listed her her qualities if you like I've got she's intelligent, curious, compassionate brave, understanding, gifted at seeing the good in people, imaginative determined, honest and loyal now if you were going to write a description of the perfect girl to try and be like um, I I don't think you'd come up with something far off that
5: Mm. (laughs) Uh,
7: sorry (laughs) sorry Darren, Uh, Daniel you go Uh, she actually, this just kind of occurred to me fits much more the role that the prince character has in other Disney stories up until this point because if you look at her compared to the beast she actually doesn't go through a lot of change at, in terms of like who she is as a character she's her play the place she's in in life obviously changes mm. there's no major
0: revelation she, she's not really,
7: like, oh. she, yeah she's really the one who actually brings about more change in the life of the Love interest, the Beast, who has a huge arc throughout the course of this story, yeah. which usually is the other way around in all the other princess stories up to this point. The, the prince is the character who, if he has any personality at all, goes through little to no change and is more responsible for bringing about change in the life mm. of the uh, princess character one she's, way or another.
6: She's the catalyst more than she is the hero. Right,
7: Much it's bit, more, It's yeah. Beast's
0: story. Uh, Josh?
5: Belle could be considered a Mary Sue. Um, she is kind of perfect in a lot of ways. But I would say, and I'm I'm sure Sharon expressed this uh, in one podcast as well, that if a Mary Sue serves a purpose and a really positive one, I'm willing to forgive it. Hmm. Because Belle, although she is kind of perfect, she is really important uh, when... It, you know when you consider beast's arc as a character mm. like her her she's he's an very I-
0: imperfect
5: yeah he's she's an idealized figure but she's that way because you need it to contrast with the beast who at the point in the you know the first time you meet him is a very you know quite quite a horrible person yeah. so it's she is the figure that the beast Uh, Aspires to be, like she's the the goalpost, as it were. She she is the person that the beast wishes he was. Not so much that he wishes he
0: could obtain or have, but just be. Then,
5: yeah.
6: She she inspires him to a degree. In fact, it's quite ironic. Gaston is described as a paragon in uh, his song, but actually Belle is closer to the paragon in this. She's the one that's sort of setting the standard. Um, Gaston
0: has so many foul traits.
6: (laughs) (laughs) I, I would say you could argue that Belle, if Belle has a flaw, it's that she is incredibly stubborn. Um, oh, yeah. i mean i I described it as Prone determined
0: reactions as well. but if
6: you well if you look at the way that she behaves when the she brings the beast back and she's treating his wound, that scene could have been played that he is ratty and in pain and angry and snappy and aggressive and potentially violent and her reaction is to be serene and calm and simply take all of the crap if you will excuse my term uh, that he throws at her but she doesn't she actually balls right back at him which kind of gives it that backwards and forwards that that kind of relationship needs if it's not just going to look like it's the man's job to be big and tough and growly and it's the girl's job to just simply smile and put up with it all because that is a very dangerous road to start going down and they avoided that beautifully
2: Little town it's a quiet village every day like the one before Little town all of little people Waking up to say Bonjour! Bonjour! There goes the baker with his tray like always The same old bread and rolls to sell Every morning just the same since the morning that we came to this poor provincial town. Good morning, pal! Morning, monsieur. Where are you off to? The bookshop. I just finished the most wonderful story about a beanstalk and an over a... in nice. marie The baguettes! Hurry up!
3: Look, there she goes, the fairly strange,
2: no question. State and distracted can't you tell? The pause
4: in
9: any crowd.
3: Cause her head's a some cloud. No denying she's a funny
9: girl, my friend. Bonjour. Good day. How is your family? Bonjour. Good day. How is your wife?
2: I need six
9: That's too expensive. There
2: must be more than this provincial. Bell. Good morning. I've come to return the book I borrowed.
3: Finished already?
2: Oh, I couldn't put it down. Have you got anything new?
3: <laughs> Not since
2: yesterday. That's all right. I'll borrow <laughs> this one.
3: That one? But you've
10: read it
2: twice. <laughs> well, it's my favorite. Far-off places, daring sword fights, magic spells, <laughs> a prince and <in> disguise. <laughs> if you like
10: it all that much, it's yours.
2: But, sir. I insist. Well, thank you. Thank you very much.
3: Look there, she goes. That girl is so peculiar. I wonder if she's feeling well.
2: With a dreamy
4: far-off look and her nose stuck in a book. what a puzzle.
10: I'm kind the of fair facade. I'm afraid she's rather
11: odd. Very different from the rest of us. She's nothing like the rest of us. Yes, different from the rest. Of us.
10: You didn't miss a shot, Gaston. You're the greatest hunter in the whole world.
9: I know. <laughs> no
10: beast alive stands a chance against you. And <laughs> no girl for that matter.
9: It's true, Lefou, And I've got my sight set on that one. But the inventor's daughter? She's the one. The lucky girl I'm going to marry. But she's... The most beautiful girl in town. I know, but... that. Makes her the best, and don't I deserve the best? Well, well, of course, I mean you do. But right from the moment when I met her, saw her, I said she's gorgeous, and I fell. Here in town, there's only she who is beautiful as me. So I'm making plans to woo and marry Belle.
3: Our dog.
4: Me, this My dog! Uh,
9: Excuse me that Please let me
2: through nice now
0: School of Movies is brought to you by Toboggan.com, your number one website for sled-based leisure activities all the year round. I'm kidding, we're supported by you guys, and you alone. If you love listening to this show, if you set aside time to enjoy it, then there's more you might be missing. You can come along to the Patreon, throw in three dollars, and you can listen to every episode of School of Movies and New Century two days early. Now, if you support us for $5, you'll get access to a whole raft of bonus content that doesn't go out on the podcast feed or anywhere else. Now, That gives you access to what I'm tentatively calling Alexander Shaw's Audio Club. That's a temporary name, placeholder, we might change that. But the club part's important. I'm fixing the RSS feed for this today to give the guys who are on that level of the Patreon access to everything I've put out so far. So that's mini episodes ranging from five minutes to half an hour, some of them go longer than that, on passengers, lights out, The Shallows, The Killing Joke, Jason Bourne, Kung Fu Panda 3, Midnight Special, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Hardcore Harry, and two extra episodes on Suicide Squad. Then there's backstage chats that took place when we covered Deadpool, The Hobbit, Zootopia, Robin Hood, Flight of Dragons, Kung Fu Panda, Terminator 3, Jurassic World, The Winter Soldier, Age of Ultron. You get full commentaries for the original Star Wars trilogy that you can sync up with your Blu-rays. You get the full nine episode initial run of The Sound of Gonzo, dozens of classic episodes of digital cowboys from a pool of 209 shows that we recorded from 2007 to 2011. This is where you get all the production talk on New Century with our Behind the White Scarves shows. And on New Year's Day this year, we launched a 90-minute Best and Worst of 2016 podcast. If you're serious about School of Movies, you're going to love this stuff. So that's patreon.com forward slash Alexander Shaw if you want to help us pay the bills. Oh, one more update for those who were tracking my health issues last year. The steroid injection in my shoulder helped partially. I can lift my arm and move it around. Most importantly, I can write and I can edit. But the calcium deposits in the tendons on both the right and the left have not completely gone, which still causes me sudden stabbing pains, especially when I'm trying to sleep, just, you know, rolling over. And it's like, you know, it's pain. That's probably not going to change and they don't want to go in with surgery or barbitage because that may end up causing more damage in trying to remove these little tiny bits, so it looks like this is a pain I'm going to have to live with. But I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who jumped aboard the Patreon or upped your monthly pledge last year when I couldn't even move my arm. It was a frightening time, and your support really helped me get through a period of feeling helpless and trapped. You guys are the best. There is a complexity to the colour in this. I had, I'd had i always just assumed that the uh, animation in uh, Beauty and the Beast was about the same as uh, Little Mermaid. It, it's not worlds apart, but there is a straight-out obvious jump up. It's definitely a progression from Rescuers Down Under.
7: It is. It's... It's a little bit more patchy in places in terms of pure execution. The townspeople specifically. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that is to do with the fact that this film was put on a very accelerated schedule due to all the lost time on the first draft. So, yeah. And there's a lot of crowd scenes, too. Those are always demanding. Yeah. And so you will see a lot of crowd scenes where the townsfolk are really kind of look a bit subpar animation-wise you will see a few shots where Bell starts looking kind of off-model, especially in that opening uh, the uh, Bell musical number. It, um, it's, and if you look in the like the mob song toward the end, there will be a lot of shots where the townspeople standing around are doing that not moving at all thing, <laughs> 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 They're standing perfectly still. Which stuff that you know that they would have done if they had kind of the mm. time and budget, but they chose their moments. But there is a lot more detail in this this is a much more complex looking the characters have a lot of fine detail the lines are very thin and like very controlled and the animation style is much more contained and kind of realistic movement for the most part with the exception of some of the much more cartoony characters and it's it must have been very hard to do yeah
2: Wife of that boorish, brainless Madame Gaston, can't you just see it? Madame Gaston, his little wife No sir, not me, I guarantee it I want much more than this provincial life great white somewhere, I want it more than I can tell, and for once it might be grand to have someone understand, I want so much more than they've got
0: planned. Okay, here's an idea for you folks to play with. Lumiere is the masculine heart of the castle on fire all the time. Uh, Cogsworth, the officious grouch, or the left brain, if you will. Uh, Mrs. Potts, the bouncing, elephantine mother head. So she's, you know, she's your maternal side of it. And Chip, the innocence and curiosity. Uh, if, you wanna, like, that for, if, if you want to, like, uh, progress that, if you want to... What does Bimbet do, the uh, maid... <laughs>
6: <laughs> she keeps Lumiere busy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is the first time that I really saw uh, Lumiere as like a, a, a massive French caricature. He's he's kind of based on. Um uh who is the guy who sang which cat's address is the finest in paris Maurice Chevalier uh, but uh, like all, like every other joke with uh uh Lumiere seems to be sort of uh, oh ho, 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 I am a french philanderer and uh wh- the 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 bit where uh, Mrs Potts was was like uh, um during uh, we'll be human again uh, when he says basically that you know I'll be I'll be wooing again and and uh I'll be cooking again, be good-looking again. And something, either way, she goes, which should cause several husbands alarm in a kind of, oh, you French philander at stealing wives. I mean, it's a bit better than the French chef in The Little Mermaid, but not much.
7: Are there any other obviously French characters in this? Because I can't think of any.
0: Uh, I don't know. Le Fou has a French name. But I mean, this was around about the time they opened Euro Disney, and uh, yeah, the, the whole BR guest thing tied in very much with uh, with, with that opening, and uh, that they appeared to have the French on side at this point. And it's not an unflattering portrayal of uh, the French, I suppose, is it?
6: He's a sleazeball, <laughs> times. but it, it is kind of no balanced. Look without with, fire, you say. It is kind of <laughs> balanced with the fact that he is generally um, more. Sympathetic to Belle than Cogsworth is, and he's the one who tries to make her feel at home and yeah. and make her feel comfortable. And also, he's kind of he's got an interesting big brotherly relationship with the Beast. Mm. Lumiere's the one who sort of gives him suggestions for how he really ought to be behaving right now, um, even though it's Missus Potts who eventually says, "Look, stop it." And I think if she had arms at that point, she'd probably have slapped him.
0: This further corroborates yeah, th- my idea that they're all facets of the Beast's mind. And that the castle is his brain.
6: There's certainly facets of his family. That struck me. Yeah. That he he has, whether it's because he's the only person who appears to to live there um, as part of the, the, uh, the royal family, as it were. Yeah. There's no suggestion of him having parents or siblings or, or there being anybody else there. Just him and the staff. And his relationship with them seems to be very
7: personal. He is sort of the... Like you said, he is sort of the heart of the uh of that cast of people in the castle. And he not only is he super uh charismatic, which makes him very lovable mm. regardless of character flaws, but also he is very empathetic. He's the he is much more the character who will know how something makes somebody feel and be able to yeah clue the beast in that listen this is how you like make someone feel nice about themselves. So this is how you be nice to somebody but he he will probably go too far with it and mrs Possible will need to be there to be like the sort of much more reasonable this is how you deal with someone this is how it's healthy to deal with somebody mm. but lemure is very much the like this is how you be nice yeah
0: he's uh, yeah like i said he's the romantic heart and uh But Mister Lumiere, what about all those husbands? How do you think they feel? eh? It does not matter. I have philandering to do. Uh, But yeah, these guys are massively important uh, for the 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 general story. Why?
5: Well, because if all these lovable, charismatic people care about the beast, Mm -hmm. there must be something in there that we can care about as Precisely. the audience.
0: Yeah. The, the Beast needs someone rooting for him. Because at yeah. the moment, all the audience are going to do is root for Belle.
7: Yeah. And it just appears
0: that she needs to be away from this horrible, vicious creature.
7: It also gives him someone to talk to and try to figure out his problems with at the times when Belle probably would not be there yeah. to, talk, to be that person to talk to. There's lots of times when she is not happy with him at all and would not talk to him about the sort of things that he as a character needs to kind of work through. And we need to see him working through yeah. for us to believe he, him and Belle eventually getting to the point where they can actually fall in love.
5: It, it allows you to see the inside of these two characters' minds because the, uh, they actually work that uh, that way for Bell as well. Bell will have conversations with uh, with the uh, with the objects in the house uh, to kind of let the audience know what's going on in her head at that moment. And the same with the Beast, as you said. It, it's just allowing the audience to understand how this relationship could
7: form when it starts at such a negative place. Yeah. It's a good also, point. They are the neutral party that anyone can talk to.
0: You'll notice that the Beast only starts to show his human side at a certain point in the film when he starts talking to them. He doesn't talk to them until that point. I think he sort of he, he mentions a few. He sort of mutters a few uh, things to them, but that's about it. And all they really, the only interactions they uh, have, are sort of fearful looks. So that sort of uh, corroborates the initial mistrust and fear of the beast in the audience. Um, he he was extremely. Uh, there's an there's complexity to his design. It's not just. Um, like some of the original um, uh, drawings, he was uh, supposed to be almost like a, a giant mandrill or a baboon, like this giant simian face. And this was uh, when uh, Howard Ashman uh, was suggesting that we start off the film with like this little kid beast, you know, pottering around the castle, feeling alone and and angry and lonely, and, and as a child. And, and uh, I think it was Roger Allers or someone like that said, "Oh, this sounds like a cheap shot." Thinking, you know, Eddie Munster, which made Howard Ashman. Explode. He was on edge at the time, understandably so. Uh, But the eventual um, design of him is uh, kind of a a chimera of different uh, animals. You've got a bear's body. You've got a buffalo's head. Uh, Any other bits that you guys know?
5: Well, the the mane really reminds me of a lion, just the head portion. Um, Yeah.
0: He has wolf legs and a wolf tail. He has bull's horns. But to soften him up they gave him cow's ears so that those little ears would sort of point downwards when he was sad so you'd get a little bit of uh, you'd start to feel for him but of course the most important thing are his bright blue wide human eyes without those uh, yeah, imagine, imagine the beast with sort of red fierce eyes the whole way through you can't relate to that
7: now his design is brilliant because yeah. there are so many animals worked into it but it does not feel like a hodgepodge mashup of animals. It feels mm. cohesive and un- it feels like its own thing. Like if like we know that like someone says Minotaur, we immediately think like it and it's a mashup of a couple animals too, sort of, but we immediately like know that almost as its own creature. Mm. Beast feels like his own creature in a completely believable way. And all the right animal elements are used in the right places to maximize his ability to be intimidating when he needs to, to be expressive when he needs to. Mm. I would go so far as to say that the Beast is maybe one of the greatest creature designs in film history because he yeah. is just yeah. so effective and he feels in- so perfectly right.
5: In fact, his design is so good that when he turns into a human at the end, you're yeah. kind of disappointed. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> I missed the Beast. I always felt that. And uh,
0: listening to the commentary yesterday, they said, yeah, you know, there's no, there was no Prince Weaker design that the audience would go, yep, that, that's a good swap. There is no way we're not going to go, who's this guy? So uh, now that I know the animators felt that, it feels a little bit, you know, it's easier just to sort of watch the end. Interestingly enough, if if they'd kept his voice a little bit rough and husky so that it really did still sound like the Beast and had his eyes, it wouldn't have been quite so um, much of a jarring change. But... Um, uh, since uh, uh, Beast's voice was provided by Robbie Benson, he also did the voice of an animated TV show called Prince Valiant. And that's the character he brought to the young, the the, the human prince at the end. Um, but interestingly, I, I knew the story of Beauty and the Beast well before this. I think I'd even watched a few of the Ron Perlman episodes, the, uh, um, the, the, the TV show. Uh, but when I saw the Beast... I was like, well, yeah, that's, um, that's absolutely obviously the beast from Beauty and the Beast. Like, straight away. It, they just nailed it. The way it was described um, by the, uh, the, the guy who designed it, Flan King, a master craftsman, he said, and he believes this about a lot of characters, that they always exist, you just have to discover them. It's a case of sort of uncovering them, like an archaeological dig. I love that way of looking at it.
7: Yeah, and he was the perfect guy to put on to put on the beast as well. Like just to talk about sort of, but just sort of animation casting for like a second at this point in Disney animation lead animators would usually be cast as supervising animators to a specific character for mm-hmm. a film that doesn't really happen anymore but it, it's how they used to handle it for 2d which makes sense because you really need somebody to master not only creating this character and how they move but drawing them uh, so many times over and over and keeping them on model and you need somebody on the team who you can go to and ask is this right and they will tell you if that if that's right and they would and they would see oversee pretty much all the key scenes that character was in if they didn't animate it themselves. And this film, in terms of just animators, is so wonderfully cast. They put all the right people on the right things. Like you've got James Baxter and Mark Henn on Belle, and Mark Henn is particularly known for animating some of Disney's best heroines because he also did. But he also did Jasmine. He also did uh, Ariel. He's just fantastic at that. You've got Glenn Keane, who's just the best animator of these big, powerful figures. He also did Radigan. He ended up doing a lot. He animated a lot of great characters, and he's also a really great draftsman. So he's just the perfect guy to be taking on Beast. You've got <laughs> Andreas Deja on Gaston, who does some awesome villains. He's just another very great draftsman, great animator. Mm-hmm. And maybe my favorite casting choice strategy in this whole thing is that they put Nick Ranieri and Will Finn two guys who are always getting on each other's nerves constantly. (laughs) They assigned (laughs) them to... Cogsworth and (laughs) Lumia. Yeah, and and not only that, they stuffed them in the same office to do the job. Nice. Which, I mean, I love, like, the way these characters bicker constantly, even when they are doing other things or trying to talk to other characters, they are still stepping on each other's toes and exchanging glares at all times. And having these two characters animated by two guys who annoy each other crammed into one room for months and months on end could have backfired super easily, but fortunately, professionalism narrowly won out and gave incredible results. Just, I love the animation casting on this movie, it's it ties into that whole thing you said before. This is a dream team of all the best people doing the right jobs, and it's why this film turned out the way it did. Yeah, um, I, I have to say
5: right here that I have an interesting connection to this film, oh, yeah. Um, James Baxter. Is the uncle of my girlfriend, uh, Catherine Beck. Uh, they're related. So. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, she she has a bunch of uh, sketches um, oh. uh, from James Baxter uh, at, at, at her home. Um, she's got a picture of Belle. He also animated Rafiki in The Lion King, I believe. And he also worked on The Hunchback in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So she's got a bunch of sketches in her room of uh, of James Baxter's work. So, you yeah. have chosen wisely. I was just <laughs> going to say,
6: not that I would ever question your motivations, Josh, but did you know this before? You started going. <laughs> up with no, that. no,
5: I didn't. It just it just came up in conversation. I was like, "What? What?"
7: <laughs> Doesn't James Baxter play himself in an Adventure Time episode, like himself as a horse for some reason? named yeah. James Baxter.
5: James Baxter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, Gaston's song uh, takes uh, almost exactly the same uh, function as um, uh, the dentist song in. Um, Little Trip of Horrors, in that it shows you a man who has had everything he has wanted drop in his lap his entire life, and what a monster that makes of him that everyone else is either too enamoured of or too afraid of, or both, to actually ever say boo to. And it presents him as, the heroine must not end up with this man. And he's funny as well. We couldn't have known this in mid-2014, but is this sounding familiar to anyone? it's exceptionally good at creating a character that we just can't stand and it's it's excellent also at showing how this character has come to be like this you know he, he's a total jock he's uh, he's he's surrounded by lackeys and toadies he, he's He's not even an exceptional at much of anything. He's just slightly more boorish, slightly louder, and possibly a slightly better shot than anyone else in the town. Again, aside from being a slightly better shot, this all applies. Apologies to everyone who started listening to this podcast to escape from the horrors of real life. I won't be dwelling on this. At least not in this episode.
6: One of the things that struck me about Gaston on this watching is that if you look at at their character roots if you like i could imagine him and the beast as the young prince actually being very very similar spoiled little boys Mm. who always get their own way who are told by everybody that they're marvellous, that they're wonderful, that uh, everything is always going to go right for them and everybody around them professes to adore them because they have this particularly high status in their own personal context. The prince in the the royal sense and Gaston in the sense that he's in this very small village and he's basically the the big fish in the small village. Um, And the prince gets this opportunity to change. And the curse is actually his turning point, if you like, yeah. that Gaston never gets.
12: No,
0: nope. yeah. he's never and challenged.
6: He continues to be subjected to you're wonderful, you're marvellous, you can never put a foot wrong. Everything that you do is perfect because you have done it. And of course, you are more marvellous than everybody else around you, which develops zero character. Um, no sense of being a decent human being whatsoever yeah. and turns you into somebody who basically has such a sense of entitlement and such a, 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 an impulse that everything they want, they should get. And if they don't get it, he reverts back to little boy, effectively stamping his feet, not fair, I wanted her. And I mean, he, he when he renews his attempts to go after Belle, there's never any indication that it's because he has any genuine feeling
5: for her. Mm. It's
6: just, I wanted that thing. I was denied. Therefore, I'm going to get all petulant about it.
5: He's a narcissist, basically. Hmm, he's yeah. the Absolutely. dictionary definition of a narcissist. And I think what's great about Gaston and what makes him one of Disney's all time great antagonists is that we've all met a Gaston. Mm. We've all. Several. <laughs> I'm thinking of two right now. <laughs> uh, we've all bore witness to this kind of person. Um, he's a very believable antagonist.
9: She thinks she is that girl has tangled with the wrong man. No one says no to Gaston <laughs> Done right dismissed rejected Publicly humiliated why it's more than I can bear uh, more beer what for nothing helps I'm disgraced Oh, you never Gaston you've got to pull yourself together
10: gosh, it disturbs me to see you Gaston Looking so down in the dumps Every guy here'd love to be you, Gaston Even when taking your lumps There's no man in town as admired as you You're everyone's favorite guy Everyone's awed and inspired by you And it's not very hard to see why No one. Slick as Gaston, no one's quick as Gaston No one's next as incredibly thick as Gaston For there's no man in town half as manly Perfect, the pure paragon You can ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley And they'll tell you whose team they prefer to be on No one no Ben
9: like Gaston, a king In like Gaston No one's got a swell
10: cleft in his gym
9: like Gaston As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating Why, <laughs> what a kind of Gaston If
4: I'm a rush, if well,
10: he Gaston is the best and the rest is all to
3: rinse. No! In a wrestling match nobody fights like Gaston
2: For this no one is furly and brawny
3: As you see
9: I've got biceps to spare Not a bit of him scraggly or scrawny That's right And every last inch of me's covered with hair No one hits like Gaston That's his
10: lips like
9: Gaston In a spitting match
10: nobody spits like Gaston
9: I'm especially good at extractorating Tui Ten points for Gaston When I was a lad, I ate four dozen eggs every morning to help me get large. And now that I'm grown, I eat five dozen eggs, so I'm roughly the size of a barge!
10: Goes tromping around wearing boots like Gaston. I use antlers
9: in all of my decorating. Say it again. Who's a man hey. of men? And let's say it once more. Who's a hey. hero next door? Who's a super
4: success do no know? Gen-
5: It's funny because he's kind of he's kind of one of the, the most horrible, most dislikable, you know, villains they've ever had. Mm but he's also one of the most realistic as well. And I find that really interesting because you have somebody like Jafar, who we're going to get onto in the Aladdin podcast, who is as black as, you know, a shade of black can be. He's just evil through and through. (laughs) But I love the way your foul little mind works. Yes. But he's kind of likeable. Like, (laughs) he's charismatic. Whereas you take a a character like Gaston, who... Is somebody who could exist, yeah. and you can't stand him. You, you like, he's one of the most horrible human beings they've ever depicted. He must and,
0: not get his way, for the love of God. Yeah, yeah.
5: And I, I, you'd you'd think that it would be the opposite way round—that somebody so cartoonishly evil would be, um, you know, super unlikable. But uh, but actually, it's the character that's closer to reality that's yeah. the most unlikable.
6: And also the fact that Jafar is at least a plain dealing villain. You you are never under any doubt that Jafar is horrendous. And his, although he's got the Sultan wrapped around his little finger, that is due to evil magics. Gaston has the entire village convinced that he is brilliant and wonderful and they should all follow him. And we, the audience, are sitting there going, no, can't you see? He's terrible. Stop. <laughs> sucking up to him especially you LeFou um and uh, actually no
0: because even at one point Fou goes yeah even marry him showing that actually they all know Gaston's a complete prick yeah they're just I suppose they're just you know making him seem awesome because they're scared of him yeah they're, they're
5: the little kids that, you know, come up behind the bully and go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dill
6: <Groverdell. laughs> <laughs> But the, the that type of villain is so successful. I mean, they, they riffed on it later on with Tarzan.
0: Yeah, Clayton may as well yeah. be Gaston's dad.
6: Yeah. I mean, considering that you could You're compare... going to come into
0: the forest with me and shoot yourself a deer. Oh, come on, you're barely walking, but you can hold your first gun, can't you?
6: Uh, considering that in that you could compare Tarzan to the Beast in terms of the, oh, yeah. the outside perspective of who he is and how he lives, oh, uh, Clayton is um, is very obviously a Gaston analogue. And again, it works.
0: I think that's how Bell gets away with possibly being a Mary Sue because Gaston is the Gary Sue taken to appalling lengths. Like, he's the Gary Sue that everyone says has got cat-like reflexes and is awesome, but you can see the rotten underbelly of him within a few seconds. Mm. I have the most hairs on my chest. I can spit like you wouldn't believe. I can eat the most eggs. It's fantastic.
7: Absolutely. That's one place, again, that I need to give full credit to Katzenberg, because Andreas Dejau wanted to make Gaston look a little bit more slimy and kind of villainy, but Katzenberg said, no, make him handsome. Make him handsome, yeah. And the fact that Gaston looks on the surface, like the ultimate heroic. Well, he looks figure, like Superman. He does. Yeah. That's not, like yeah. compared to the beast, just perfectly drives home the value that the film places on true character over surface appearance. It works thematically so very well. Yeah. And yeah. I'm astonished that Gaston, despite everything we've been saying is still super funny and entertaining to watch. Yeah. Like, yeah, you'd think because like he reminds us of someone totally, he is exactly as that brand He, Like, the little moments like him talking to, like talking to Bell like, Belle, this is the day, and he stops and looks in the mirror and, like, cleans his teeth yeah. just for a second, like, ah, and can then and then finishes his sentence.
9: Show them the medal I won. <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> my Twitter has become so powerful that I can actually make my enemies tell the truth.
6: <laughs> and also, it's not just in how he behaves in relation to himself as well. I mean, that laundry list of, of positive qualities that I gave earlier about Bell all those things about her that are marvellous and what he's concerned with is the fact that she looks good
0: Mm. that was his challenge by the way you know you said sharon you said that um gaston never had the challenge bell saying nope and tossing him out on his ear that's the time for introspection that's the time to not hang around your lackeys telling you you're awesome that's the time when you think to yourself maybe i'm not the hot shit that I thought I was and that everyone tells me I am. Maybe I do need to earn this girl's uh, trust. Maybe that could have been the making of Gaston, but instead, he's a simpleton. He's a moron. He hangs around only with yes-men. And uh, they simply say, look, you know, if if this isn't working right, just force the situation.
6: But that's the thing, though. That's how you make
0: psychopaths.
6: The Beast is put in a position where he has all of what he perceives to be his... Uh, benefits and privileges and qualities that are all focused around how he looks taken away from him yeah. gaston yes bell turns him down but what happens then lefou laughs at her along with everybody else and everybody goes what's wrong with her she's crazy he's gorgeous yeah. everybody doesn't go oh yeah we've suddenly realized what a Horrible person Gaston is, and we've decided we don't want to have anything to do with him anymore either. That would be him being truly challenged.
7: Yeah. You know, one of my favorite subtle little character touches about Gaston, and I didn't realize it until just watching it this last time, is his singing voice. Because Howard Ashman was always carefully crafting every character's vocal performance, and he was always urging all the singers to really act with the voice and communicate character and inner feelings with every line and be singing with in the intensity as opposed to yeah, like to right,
13: right it's from being, the moment that I met her, saw her exactly That's like it's about being expressive
7: instead top. of just theatrically belting out the lines. And Gaston always theatrically belts out lines. Yeah. He like every verse and chorus is projected That's in right. that boisterous operatic vibrato every time. And that has to be intentional because it makes him seem completely without depth. Just 100% surface level, this is what a hero sounds like, posturing.
9: I have a very annoying vibrato.
0: The only time we get to see the real Gaston, anybody?
7: Is in his The Mob Song actually no, uh it's not even that like on that, the, the
6: ramparts at the yep. very okay. end when the beast
7: gets okay. the upper hand and he's like no no and
0: it, it, he is a scared little boy and that's all he's fighting his entire life this whole i can imagine his dad putting a gun in his hands and saying go kill yourself a deer right now
7: and actually that ties into what sharon was saying earlier and it was something carrie picked up on too at during that no no moments like when we look at the beast's, beast's face and his angry reaction kind of melting to her much more like softening significantly yeah. Carrie She's picked up on thinking man. like or, or just thinking that like that there was a kind of a hint of recognition in seeing that yeah, in like nah. of, his, of his early self oh, and wow. that him not that he's just not that anymore Carrie you've also chosen wisely
0: <laughs> we need to get both your respective other halves on this show.
9: help Someone help me, Maurice! Please, please, I need your help. He's got her. He's got her locked in the dungeon. Who? Bell. We must go. Not, not a minute to lose. Whoa! Slow down, Maurice. Who's got Bell locked in a dungeon? A beast! A horrible, monstrous beast! <laughs> Is it a big beast, you? With a long, ugly snout? Hideously ugly. And sharp, cruel fangs? Yes, yes. Will you help me? All right, old man. We'll help you out. You will? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Crazy old Maurice. <laughs> He's always good for a laugh. Crazy old Maurice, hmm? Crazy old Maurice, hmm? who I'm afraid I've been thinking A dangerous pastime? I know, but that wacky old coot is Bell's father And his sanity's only so-so Now the wheels in my head have been turning Since I looked at that loony old man See, I promised myself I'd be married to Bell, And right now I'm evolving a plan
10: Yes. Then we... No, would she? I like, guess. Now I get it. Let's go! No one looks like, like Gaston. Gaston takes cheap shots like Gaston. Plants to persecute harmless crackpots like Gaston. So his marriage we soon will be seven.
0: Okay, so moving on from Gaston, The Horrible. The importance of Be Our Guest. This is one of the two linchpins. Without this song, it would have been a great film. But with this song and one other moment, it grabbed people. Because suddenly it turned Disney films into a party. I know it sounds like, well, yeah, it's a literal party. No, no, no. It really turned Disney films into a party. It gave people the impression, you go to a Disney movie, you are going to have a great time. You are literally their guest and they're going to put on a great show for you. They do it again in Aladdin with Prince Ali. And they nailed it so much with these two that um, they, they pretty much had goodwill from people for 10 years
5: and when you think about what's actually achieved in this song, in terms of, like, characterization and, you know, storytelling and mm-hmm. what have you, nothing is
0: achieved.
7: <laughs> but I agree you with take you. take it
0: out, the story still works.
7: But... Actually, I think it actually has... So- well, I'll let you finish your thought, but I'll... Yeah. I was gonna say,
5: but like, I wouldn't take it out because it adds so much flavor and a different flavor from the rest of the film. Like, uh, it's so positive and upbeat. Whereas there, there are definitely upbeat moments in this film, but a lot of it's a much, you know, much more emotional and yeah. and, and so, this is just fun. Joy and, and and this and this film needed a bit of fun peppered in just to make the whole thing work. I think.
0: And it's not showing off, either. They, they've just... they wanted to do this for so long. And they are having a great time, giving us a great time.
10: Good evening.
3: Well, where is she?
10: Who? Oh, uh, the girl. Yes, the girl. Well, actually, she's in the process of... Uh, circumstances being what they are. She's not coming. What?! <laughs>
3: Break, your evidence! Get I thought I told you to come down to dinner!
2: I'm not hungry.
3: You come out or I'll, I'll, I'll break down the door! Master,
5: I could be wrong,
3: but uh, that may not be the best way to win the girl's affections.
10: Please attempt to be a gentleman. But she is
3: being so
10: difficult. Gently,
11: gently.
1: Will you come down to
3: dinner? No. Suave.
11: Genteel.
3: It would give me great pleasure if you would join me for dinner. Please.
2: No, thank you. You can't stay in there forever. Yes, I can.
3: Fine. Then go ahead and starve. If she doesn't eat with me, then she doesn't eat at all. (laughs)
11: Oh dear, that didn't go very well
7: at all, did it? I do, I do think it is mostly just a fun song. Like, the, I think what I'm about to mention could probably be achieved very quickly in some other way, but I think it does, in the same way that we watch it and have a really great time, I think if you look at where Belle's character is before and after that song on how she feels about being in this castle, it is significantly different. Before then, she's just had a huge screaming match oh, with yeah. the Beast, which I adore that scene and she's just feeling just like her life has been completely wrecked that she's trapped here she doesn't want to ever she doesn't want to ever talk to the beasts or even eat with them or anything she just hates being here but she does sneak out of her room and she goes down and talks to these household objects and then they pretty much and then they just surprise and delight her with this huge song number and suddenly like it ignites that curiosity she has and she just her feelings towards this place mm. and is she's much more warmed up to the cast? Like she wants to see the castle, she wants to explore it. I think it is a they pretty do big, too well. It makes a huge difference towards how she feels. Yeah, actually, about the no. Place yeah, she's in.
0: you're you're right. She she wouldn't have got into that West Wing without this song.
7: No, and I don't think. She, and I think it warms her up to not everything being horrible and bad at this place too. I think yeah. it it it's a stair step on the way to her beginning to appreciate who the Beast is as well. Okay, I take it back. That this. Narratively, this does actually, and it and it is also the most fun party song yeah. <laughs> that Disney has ever had or done. Yeah. I do it. Parodied
0: expertly on The Simpsons.
3: <laughs> Monsieur, Mademoiselle, it is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. And now. We invite you to relax, let us pull up a chair, as the dining room proudly presents your dinner. Be our oh guest be our guest put our service to the test tie your napkin round your neck sherry and we provide the rest soup du jour hot order why we only live to serve try the gray stuff it's delicious don't believe me ask the dishes they can sing they can dance after all miss this is france and a dinner here is never second best. Go on, unfold your men. You take a glance and then you'll be our guest. We our guest, be our guest. Beef ragout, cheese soufflé. I am putting on flambe. We'll prepare and serve with flair a culinary cabaret. You're alone and you're scared, but the banquet's all prepared. No one's gloomy or complaining. While the flatware is entertaining, we tell jokes, I do tricks with my fellow candlesticks. Put it all in perfect taste that you can burn. Come on and lick your glass, you've won If you're stressed, it's fine dining we suggest. Be our guests, be our guests, be our guests. Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. Ah, those good old days when we were useful. Suddenly those good old days are gone. Ten years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting, needing exercise, a chance to use our skills, most days we just lay around the castle. Slam be fat and lazy, you walked in and oops a daisy! It's a guest, it's a guest. Sakes alive and I'll be blessed.
11: Wine's been and thank the Lord, I've had the napkins freshly pressed. We've decent, she'll watch tea, and my dear, that's fine with me. While the cups do this, I'll shoe it. I'll be bubbling, I'll be brewing, I'll get warm, I'll be hot. Heaven's sake, is that a spot? Cleaning that, we want the company impressed. We've got a lot to do. One not for two for you, I guess. She's our guest. She's
4: our guest. She's our guest.
0: Okay, so the unending symbolism of the West Wing that one is forbidden to enter. Sharon, do you want to take it's this bluebeard. one? It's Bluebeard! I know, it's Bluebeard.
6: Totally Bluebeard.
0: Um, there was this bit yesterday when uh, they were uh, watching on the, so the, uh, the commentary, they were like, There's, who the West Wing thing, what is this? It's like a, not, a girl's not allowed to go into another part of the castle. Ah, it's from something. And I was like, Bluebeard, Bluebeard, or it's just Bluebeard. Carry on. Tell us what Bluebeard is, Sharon.
6: Um, Bluebeard is a story which is ostensibly supposed to be a cautionary tale about girls being too nosy for their own good. Um, But it's actually not when you pick it apart. Um, It's about a young girl who is married off to a much older man. Called Bluebeard, a I think, yeah, merchant. But it's kind of hinted he's actually a pirate. Um, but he uh, is—he's very wealthy, and although she's quite scared of him, she's encouraged by her family to go and, and marry him because he's rich and he's—he can, you know, give her this very luxurious life. And uh, eventually, she agrees to go, and he takes her off to this house, and he has to go away on business and he gives her the keys for the house. He says, you can go anywhere you want in the house. There's just one room that you must not go in, the smallest room at the very top of the tallest tower. You mustn't go in there. And uh, so she roams around the castle exploring and eventually, of course, decides Really wants to know what's in that room. Um, the what room, is your <laughs>
0: eternal fascination with my forbidden my closet of mystery? <laughs>
6: um, so uh, eventually, she she finds the the key that fits the door, and um, she opens the door, and it, it, the room is full of bones and severed heads, <laughs> and it's all the bones and severed heads of Bluebeard's previous wives. And the the rest of the story progresses that basically she's obviously terrified, slams this door shut, and then tries to pretend that she hasn't seen anything, but she can't keep it hidden, and he finds out, and then the end of the story is usually her brothers come to rescue her. Right. But the it, it's it can also be interpreted as the idea that if you are encouraged to ignore something that is niggling at you is not quite right that's usually because something is not quite right and it needs to be sorted out and you cannot fix such a situation by going eh, well it's not really that bad you know i know he scares the hell out of me but hey he's rich and he has a big house
0: best antidote um, best antiseptic in sunshine
6: something like that yeah um and that was one of the reasons why i love the fact that i mean i'm curiosity. I put it in Belle's list of good qualities. She wants to know everything about this castle and that is reflected in the fact that when she starts to get to know the beast she wants to know everything about him and that includes accepting the fact that he does have this temper and actually exploring the reasons why he has this temper rather than simply going well When you're being nice and sweet, then I'll stay here and talk to you. But when you're going to be horrible, then no, I'm just going to not look and pretend it's not happening. That's not Belle. She doesn't act like that. And it's one of the reasons why I like her.
0: There's something deeper than that. Stories about curiosity may go back to the first stories, because if you think about it, medicine men and uh, the, the, the shaman, the witch doctor, the, the, whoever, the storyteller who had to keep the tribe alive as much as possible, had to portray in words that everyone could understand in symbolism, there are certain places you should not go. And a, a lot of stories, which m- in modern day parlance are horror stories, are about people going out and terrible things happening to them because they go far too far down the, uh, the the curious river um this is actually really well put across in the croods directed by chris sanders have either of you guys seen it
5: not yet but i've heard positive things about it it's
0: very good nicholas cage is very good <laughs> Uh, it's a a bunch of cavemen and uh, Nicolas Cage's character of Grug tells stories over and over again about how if you go outside your cave you're going to die because the environment is so incredibly hostile and um, it really does seem like there is something hardwired into our DNA to be cautious as a survival instinct to to understand that the whole curiosity killed the cat thing that's part of humanity that that feeling that curiosity is a risk-reward transaction. So, you know, you, you could get something good, but you might also die, just as long as you understand that. And that's <laughs> why so many uh, of, of our stories actually contain an amount of risk-reward, because if the character doesn't risk something, then everything's just happening to that person. They They become reactive rather than proactive. And ironically, one of the things that um, Eep, Grug's daughter, played by Emma Stone, the cave girl, is most fascinated by, is fire and the sun. And she wants desperately to walk towards the light. And that's the idea of this being actually the antiseptic that you spoke of, Sharon. The light of discovery. And ultimately, it's the nothing ventured, nothing gained. And had Belle not done this the rest of the film may not have happened in this way.
6: They almost turned her away from it. Did you notice? Mm. With the mention of...
7: The library. Yep. Yes.
6: Lumiere mentions the library and she goes, "Oh, library, turns to go, but then the mystery of the West Wing draws her back. However... That's picked up on later on because Lumiere remembered that she reacted positively to the library and tells the Beast to give her the library, nice. to to do something nice for her. And I really, really liked that because it's it kind of sets up this idea that doing something nice for somebody else you know doing something that's really going to impress them and really going to appeal to them is not a case of if you love them you'll be psychic and know exactly what they need that Mm. idea came from Lumiere by way of Belle herself
7: yeah it's one of his nice qualities just he's observant enough to pick up on when somebody like he would know like he saw that hint and he would remember exactly Also, I love that scene
5: where Beast gives Belle the library because Mm. he wins her over by demonstrating that he understands what's meaningful to her like it's not just like oh here's some roses and some chocolates you like me now no (laughs) that's not how it works you have to demonstrate like the the giving gifts in of itself is nice and all but if you give a gift to somebody that speaks to them as a person as a human being it's it, it demonstrates not only that you know that you like them but you understand them that you you truly love them as a person and um i just the way that scene is played but both in terms of animation and the voice actors in that scene it moves me every time
0: it's analog is of course the scene where gaston comes into proposition bell what does he do regarding books
6: chucks them in the mud
0: (laughs) he puts his filthy feet all over them because he just, he just doesn't even notice, doesn't even care, doesn't know or care anything about her.
6: And what he's offering her is of no interest to her whatsoever. This idea of being... It's its not just Gaston that she rejects in that scene. It's what Gaston is offering, which is the role of the little wife and the mother and the person who has to clean up after the dogs. Um, and, and she's not having any of it.
0: She isn't even really a person to Gaston at that point. Again, I'm going to come back to the whole sociopath thing. She's just an extension of himself. He's trying to draw in. He's so like, you know, this is just going to happen. I'm just going to walk in, say some words, and then it'll happen because he's so used to that. When you when you are that narcissistic, you kind of re- – you never get out of the whole toddler thing where you don't know that the rest of the world isn't you.
7: Mm. Mm. In a similar way, I like – very much that the way they've handled the beast's character is that the as soon as you get past the uh, like a surface layer scary huge monster that he you realize he is really just incredibly childish he's not it's not that he's just a grown adult character with a whole bunch of character flaws that bell has to figure out how to change he is just a child he will argue in just again that little spat they have while he where he she won't come to dinner and he runs up to her door starts banging on the door screaming you have to come down to dinner just like a child yeah who had been put in the body of a huge beast would and Lemire and cogsworth and all and mrs potts are just like all right just ask gently be nice it be would polite
8: great Pleasure, yeah,
7: and when he does that, like his entire body, like slowly balls up like a fist and clenches around himself as he says that line. And I also
0: love it. the best bit of physical comedy in the entire film. She shouts back, "No!" And he he points at the door, Jackie Gleason <laughs> style, and goes, huh? <laughs> "Huh? You
6: hearing this?
7: Yeah, I played nice, and they didn't play nice. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, it's
6: <laughs> you see, look, see what she does, <laughs>
7: <laughs> and and as he grows and and. She, he begins to change and become begins to mature, it's not just that he's just shedding bad behavior it's really he's just a. it's a child basically learning how to socialize and deal with other people and learning empathy and learning to yeah. just learning how to deal with adults kind of makes you yeah. wonder
0: how early his parents died yeah I mean, well, he when they just left my- him because he was an odious little oik <laughs> they just left the castle, bolted it shut and ran away <laughs>
7: A, a, a I mean, crime. by the timeline of the film, he would have tra- been transformed at age 11, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. just because uh Because Lemire, Lemire says 10 years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting. He's, it's his 21st year is when, he by that point, he has to learn and change. So it's been 10 years. He's about to turn 21. So he would have been like 11 and just, just a spoiled 11-year-old kid at the time when he was turned. Hmm. And since then, an unfortunate side effect is that he has also been cut off from, uh, he probably would have been cut off anyway, but he's been cut off from anyone, everyone else. He has no one to learn really properly from, at least no one that he didn't already have when he was just a human kid. Yeah.
5: A a, a quote from Donald Glover of Community that I've always loved is that he says, what separates a a kid from an adult is empathy. Yeah. it 's being able to understand others and their you know their views on the world and their, how they feel about certain situations that 's what makes you mature um, and that 's what the beast needs to learn is empathy that more than anything else during this film that 's the thing that changes is that he learns how to take on the perspective of other people
6: which it could be argued is the essence of compassion, which it could also mm. be argued is what uh, true love as in the love that goes far beyond relationship love and into what do they call it? is it agape love of all mankind
7: i don't there's know it's specifically enough to correct, to say if you're the, correct uh, there's,
6: there's a particular type of love that i think the i was about to say that the greeks referred to but that takes us down a agape
0: agape one which becomes particularly appropriated in christian theology is the love of god or christ for humankind
6: god's love for all mankind yeah so but
0: but, i mean he invented it so you
6: know obviously Um, (laughs) but you see what i mean though in that particular context compassion is the root of that Mm. And, and understand you you can't unconditionally love somebody unless you at least understand how they feel about things
0: I've got to break off for a moment to mention the Broadway musical of Beauty and the Beast, which is lovely. I'm not too familiar with it. I was incredibly lucky enough to see The Lion King in London, but um, I only just recently got into the Broadway musical of Beauty and the Beast, thanks to the excitement for the live-action version coming up. There is a song around about this point where the Beast sings to himself, and he's beginning to really lose hope now. It's been so long. He's got so little time left, and... This girl is disgusted with him. So he is turning that inwards. It's a little phantom of the opera, a little hunchback, and it's lovely. Whenever we're watching these movies, we sort of point out stuff like emotional beats for, for Lyra so that she understands things. And she's actually getting very good at at understanding why people are furious and angry and why they actually might be quite um pitiful in doing so. Like I said, when she was very young, she was terrified of the beast, but we've been able to talk her through stuff like that. So now she can actually interpret and... um. And, um uh, she's remarkably sensitive for a five-year-old kid. She still thinks that two times two is 22, but she's really good at emotions. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Frankly, I know which one I would rather have her good at.
7: <laughs> yeah, arguably the more important one. One of those is a lot easier to learn <laughs> down the road.
0: Um, the flower representing the soul of the beast, it reminded me of uh, E.T. with his uh, sunflowers. Um but it's particularly important to, uh, to present to the audience something of actual beauty uh, and suggesting that you know deep down beneath this horrible, obnoxious creature, there is actually something very delicate. And uh, the, the, the symbolism of the, of the, the petals falling and the, the ticking clock, or more specifically the sounds of the hourglass that this represents, uh, it, it adds a tension to the movie mm. and the story
6: it also adds a layer to the uh, idea that the curse is something that's internal to the beast mm. that he uh, that the rose reminds him of the event that brought this about if that rose withers and dies and he therefore has nothing left to remind him of what happened mm. then he will continue to descend into being a beast
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's the thing. He's not necessarily going to die when he hits 21. It it all seems to be tied up in the fact that Gaston stabs him. But uh, if Bell hadn't come into his life and that Flower had just died at that point, he would just continue regressing. The idea being he's been... The, the, the West Wing, where it's, you know, covered in scratches and slashes and he destroyed all the furniture, that's him going to his, his, his feral side, and he's been getting worse and worse over time. Yeah. So the light of intelligence would slowly leave his eyes, and this kind of goes back to Brenda Chapman's Brave again, the, the difference between uh, the mother bear and then the bear when she just goes black-eyed and um, just loses that spark of who she is, and why that's so terrifying, especially to children.
5: A nice touch they, um, I really like in this film is when you, Belle first sees the rose and then the beast starts shouting and screaming and breaking everything and going into this, you know, huge rage and she runs away. That's the moment when the audience first sees a glimmer of humanity in the beast because yeah. when she's left. The beast realizes what he's done. And I'm I'm sure everyone's had this at least once in their life where they've gotten so angry that it's kind of gotten a bit out of control. And then they have that moment of clarity after the anger and they just re-examine what they just did and they go oh, no, what have I done? Okay. And that moment, with you and there's no word spoken. It's just the animation. You just see it in the beast's face. He's like, I can't believe I just did that. Um, and it's great. It's fantastic. There
0: is a lower key version uh, at the uh, earlier point where he says, you will join me for join me for dinner. That's not a request. Or something along those lines, when he first meets Belle and she leaves him to go and cry in her room, there's a little bl- glimmer of a, hmm... there was nothing and then he carries on so, I but think, th- but then that really takes hold when uh, when Bell leaves at that point. Yeah, I
6: think it's when he's actually she's in the uh, cell that Maurice was in before, yeah. and he goes in to get her and say, you know, you're going to come and stay elsewhere in the castle. And she's really really upset, and it, she says that she didn't even get to say goodbye to her father. And this expression crosses his face as yeah. if that it's genuinely fleeting. hadn't yeah. occurred to him before.
0: Possibly because he really doesn't remember having parents himself. Even, yeah. if, even if it's only been 10 years and, and he maybe had parents in between time, that's a long time as a beast, a long time of being very much alone.
6: And I think...
0: He's almost Tarzan.
6: Going back to the the timing of the Rose, the turning 21 is particularly significant in this story because I think what they're driving at with that is that if you've grown up as somebody who has no compassion for other people mm. and no understanding of, of the world around you and no ability to relate to anybody except on your own terms, if you haven't learned it by the time you emerge from adolescence, you are not going to learn it as an adult or at least. It's it's going to be so difficult for you to learn it that it might as well be impossible.
0: Yeah. So after the wolf attack, um, which is actually extremely frightening, uh, the, there is an equalizing moment where they're uh, shouting again at each other uh, when she's tending to his wounds. And that really comes down to the fact that at this point, Belle is no longer afraid of the beast. And I don't think she's ever really afraid of him ever again after that. She's seen him get wounded. She's seen a lot scarier creatures than him without that humanity in their eyes.
2: Here now. Oh, don't do that. Just hold still.
3: That hurts.
2: If you'd hold still, it wouldn't hurt as much.
3: If you hadn't have run away, this wouldn't have happened.
2: If you hadn't frightened me, I wouldn't have run away.
3: Well, you shouldn't have been in the West Wing!
2: Well, you should learn to control your temper! Now, hold still. This might sting a little. Hmm? (laughs) By the way, thank you for saving my life.
8: You're welcome.
6: Something else specific about that though, is that she's now seen him act unselfishly to protect her. Yeah. And Once you've... I think what that's kind of saying is once, particularly for Belle, not that this is necessarily going to be the same for everybody, but once she's seen somebody do something good and unselfish, and particularly in this case for her specifically, she doesn't lose that. Even when she sees him get angry after that, she knows that there is a glimmer of something redeemable in him. Mm. Mm. Well,
5: I, yeah. She realises that it's it's all kind of a show, that he'd, he'd never actually hurt her. Like, he'll shout and scream and get angry, but He'll never do any more than that. So she can stand her ground now mm. that she has that in her mind. It's like, yeah. he's never going to actually hurt me. So I'm going to you know, stand here and shout right back at him and let him know that I'm not going to be push- pushed around. You know?
6: mm. But there's, there's something about that kind of response that for some reason that I've never quite been able to understand, there are people who take that as a sign of disrespect, that if you're not afraid of them, if you don't think that they would actually hurt you, that means that you don't respect them and that you're going to push them around. And that's... I I just... I can't get that. That surely, if somebody can look at you and say, I know you would never hurt me, that's a compliment, isn't it? Yeah,
5: yeah, no, it is. Like... She feels safe around him, yeah. But also, not only does she feel safe around him, she feels safe enough to express her negative feelings around, uh, uh, you know, around him and about him. And I think when you're in a relationship with somebody, you have to be able to vent. And that's one of the reasons why I think this relationship between these two characters is really healthy and, uh, and realistic representation of a loving relationship yeah. between two characters. is because they don't gloss over the fact that couples fight like they don't gloss over the fact that that's actually an important part of being in a relationship is being able to argue well and healthily. that both you know both parties can express when they're feeling negative feelings and that be okay
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially since you've then got the comparison of what would this particular conversation be like if she was with Gaston? Well, for a start, he wouldn't hear a damn word she said, so...
0: And she didn't express herself fully to Gaston. She sort of worked around it, was quite charming about it, and then kicked him out.
6: Probably because she knew that being direct with Gaston would earn her nothing, or potentially that on some level... Gaston is to be afraid of because he potentially could get violent and aggressive and potentially murderous if he was denied his toy.
2: Gaston, what a pleasant surprise.
9: Isn't it though? I'm just full of surprises. You know, Belle, there's not a girl in town who wouldn't love to be in your shoes. This is the day. Hmm. Tic tac. This is the day your dreams come true.
2: What do you know about my dreams, Gaston?
9: Plenty! Here, picture this. A rustic hunting lodge. My latest kill roasting on the fire. And my little wife massaging my feet. Well, the little ones play on the floor with the dogs. Oh, we'll have six or seven. Dogs? No, Belle. Strapping boys like me.
2: Imagine that.
9: Do you know who that little wife will be?
2: Let me think.
9: You, Belle.
2: Gaston, I'm, I'm speechless. I really don't know what to say.
9: <laughs> say you'll marry me.
2: I'm very sorry, Gaston, but, but I just don't deserve you. Whoa.
0: The wolf attack on Belle, by the way, actually reminded me of um a film that came afterwards, Ang Lee's Hulk, when those Hulk dogs attack Betty and Hulk seized them off. Um, Which, I mean, both of them really are a parallel of when Kong sees off the Tyrannosaurus Rex in the original King Kong in the 30s. And of course, in the Peter Jackson one, it's three Vastodosaurus Rexes to protect Anne. Anne. And the Beast almost stands in that same, you will come no further than me, in front of the wolves. Lyra uh, tied Beast up with Hulk almost immediately as well. There's a lot of that in there. Again, this is the uh, things that, uh, that Lyra loves best, uh, uh, scary creatures that turn out to be actually quite gentle or or turn out to be quite um, childlike, even if they aren't gentle and they are still rough. It's, uh, it's very relatable for kids. So uh, even though Beauty and the Beast did initially freak her and I would imagine a lot of other young kids out, it, it's the sort of thing that you can really latch onto as time goes on. So I've got two questions. What time frame does this film take place over is three it days. I- <laughs> yeah, <about> three days three days <laughs> it's three days i assumed it was months when i was uh, younger because i was like well there's there's um there's the snow melts and there's the uh the, the mid-call release straight to dvd the enchanted christmas but it's like three or four days
6: it's three does days it, it- and aladdin is three days as well i counted
5: does it does it specifically say it's three days? Because I was actually about to say one of the things I liked about the film mm. was it was so bad. vague it's... about the time span. It is yeah. vague, but
0: ultimately you have to assume that because Maurice leaves the village um, after... Basically, there are certain amounts of nights that you can kind of count. There are certain... like They appear to be having a meal and then it cuts to the next day. Now, that next day could be weeks from then. But the problem is... Um, Maurice did not bring any food with him when he left to go and get Belle he'd have been dead of starvation simple as that unless he was eating berries uh, he can't have been in there for more than two days
6: see my evidence is, is twofold one, the wardrobe has three dresses in it and Belle wears all of them
0: <laughs>
6: <laughs> two, you count the meals and divide by three
7: <laughs> nicely done they do a good job of of making that sort of feel vague and they you feel a lot of very subtle change as you go whether it's the uh whether it's the change in clothing as Mm. as the uh as the characters kind of go through their the time at that abyss castle uh the day and night cycles also just lots of little subtle feelings of just change in either weather like the snow or the castle kind of lightening up and feeling much less dark Mm. and intimidating uh also, there's little subtle changes in their wardrobe. Like Beast starts out kind of in mostly like the pants and big red cape and just big hulking, yeah. creepy thing. But then he's kind of wearing more and more clothing as that time goes on. Just a shirt and a much calmer, cool blue kind of cape. And then eventually up to the full uh, ball dance sequence where he's in the just full attire and everything. Just
4: it's looking more and more dashing. soft and human. Yeah, yeah.
7: It's, it's lots of subtle change that happens in a that kind of short amount of time, that still works as being three days, but it feels like a lot more time yeah. passing. And it, it, I mean, ultimately, no matter how long it takes, you believe the progression of their relationship. Yeah. Even if it was one that would happen in three days, even if that feels somewhat unrealistic, if you just look at it in terms of what most relationships are. Oh, if we're going to be do, talking
0: about realism, there's a candlestick talking. So, <laughs> yeah. It's...
6: I think I'd, I'd, I'd counter that, though, because the night when... Now, let me try and work out exactly when it happens. I I think it's when he gives her the library and then they go out and play in the garden. And there's the whole scene with the birds and the snowballs. And then they're reading and she's teaching him to read Romeo and Juliet. And they're sat down by the fireside. And I really got the strong impression that that was... don't know if any of you guys have had this but those one of those nights where you stay up talking with somebody all night and the next morning you kind of know that's all you want to do for the rest of your life
4: yeah 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 hm.
0: okay uh, how old's chip He <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs>
6: He was born a cup.
0: <laughs> I don't even want to think about the physics of this thing, because he seems younger than 10. Did he? St- is he like a 16-year-old boy trapped in a
5: one-year-old okay, cup's but- body? No,
6: because the beast has aged, so it stands to reason that everybody else would age too.
5: So he was a cup fetus at one point? <laughs>
7: <laughs> He's definitely younger than 10.
6: He is definitely younger than 10.
0: Was Mrs Potts Roger by a kettle?
7: Is oh. Potts his well, she he does call her mother, but she is clearly way older. I was gonna say yeah, as well. She, she does
0: not seem of childbearing age. I I think She's, Yeah, she he might just be like eight, a kid.
7: Yeah, I suspect he might have just been a kid. I suspect all the cups in that cupboard were, might have just been kids yeah. around. And I Carrie and I spent a little while trying to figure out some of this stuff too. Like is every cup fork and drawer an ex person or are some of them just enchanted objects? No, it's the and, latter, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah and we just eventually settled on like you know what this is one of those universes where if you dig too deep it doesn't it, <laughs> it gets disturbing <laughs> yeah it like it's like cars you don't dig even one layer into cars because it breaks immediately yeah. you just you, who's you roll with
6: refueling it. these things
7: exactly <laughs> why do they have couches
6: they
0: don't have asses Cars is like Battlestar Galactica. The cars have evolved beyond people at that stage. If they dig down, you get fossilized humans. That's, <laughs> that's, where, the oil, that's where the oil comes <laughs> from.
5: <laughs> A really dark prequel to cars. <laughs> it's,
0: it's like Planet of the Cars. Basically, so <laughs> the humans are dead.
4: The humans are dead. We use poisonous gases. Isn't there acid? The humans are dead
7: The humans are dead
4: The humans are dead
7: They
13: look like they're dead
4: It had to be done I'll just
13: confirm that they're dead So that we could
9: have fun Affirmative, I poked one, it was dead
1: <laughs> Anyway
2: sweet and almost kind but he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined and now he's dear and so unsure I wonder why I didn't see it there before
3: she glanced this way thought I saw. And when we touched, she didn't shudder at my paw. No, it can't be, I'll just ignore. But then she's never looked at me that way before.
2: You, and a bit alarming, could have ever thought.
3: Well, who'd have thought? Well, bless my soul. Well, who'd have known? Well, who indeed. And who'd have guessed they'd come together on their own? It's so peculiar. Well, wait and see, see. A few, few days, more, days there more. There may be something there that wasn't there before. Oh, have something
4: there that wasn't there before.
11: There may be something there that wasn't there before. There
0: human again which was actually from the stage show it's uh, in the same way as the morning report was uh, integrated into the lion king at a later date uh, very cunningly and almost seamlessly the the animation uh, style does change a little bit the vocal style just changed a little bit but you, the average person watching wouldn't even notice the difference or may not even notice that that song wasn't originally in the uh, uh, story because it fits so well
6: it was in the original plan Mm-hmm. But they they cut it because it didn't fit where they put it, and put in yeah. the.
0: Um, I think there's
5: something, there's something there that there was there, there before.
6: Instead, yeah, and then when they saw the stage show, they realised that it could fit. They just had to put it in a different place. Yeah,
0: it's a lovely bit of business, though. Right? It's just kind of the it's the backstage version of be our guest. It's like you know we we want to uh, to, to put on a great show for the humans, but it's like oh, this is our we yearn to be human again. And it's a kind of an interesting parallel there with, um, uh, Princess and the Frog. It's especially uh, gratifying, I suppose, to watch uh, uh, things that aren't human or were human really wanting to have just what we have. It's kind of the same schadenfreude thing that you get when you watch a superhero coveting the life of a simple man and not having this incredible burden of responsibility. You're watching someone, you know, you. you we all want to be Iron Man or Spider-Man, but then there is a terrible privilege that comes with that, wherein they have to be Iron Man and Spider-Man. So uh, I suppose in this scenario, they don't have to be forks and knives, but because by their very nature, they are implements designed to make living in a palace uh, as bearable as possible for the, uh, uh, the, the occupants, they have to do this.
1: It's a
9: horrible, horrible job. I couldn't think of a more horrible job if
1: I wanted to. And you have to do it. You have to. Do you understand?
0: Do you? Cogsworth can't go, huh, I'm done being a clock and just go and sunbathe for the rest of his enchanted life.
6: Although he evidently wants to.
7: Yeah. They are... Yeah, the uh, household staff got screwed over by this curse. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it like, did uh, a you could imagine, of, they should hate the beast they really should couldn't lots just of bring her in for some porridge could you yeah, just, just waiting, like waiting on this kid hand and foot <laughs> then he insults an old lady outside the door and they all get cursed to be household objects for 10 years
0: oh that's fine yeah. love that's fine I don't mind being a teapot <laughs>
7: <laughs> no I am it, only going like tea-, tea
0: anyway <laughs>
5: <laughs> it, it's like the the teacher who sees one student misbehaving and says, "Right, the whole class is staying behind for detention." It's like... <laughs> nice. They spend
6: the next ten years throwing paper aeroplanes at the beast and looking at him viciously.
5: Has anyone
0: seen beastly? Yes, I'd kind of like to. Is it is it is it better than this? <laughs> no. <laughs> It's, it's got like that girl from High School Musical in it, hasn't it?
5: Yeah, and it's what well, I forgot. I forget the actor's name. Alex he was Pettifer. yeah, he, he's really... she loves
0: him even though he's so cool and rad with those yeah. badass tattoos and
5: things. <laughs> it's, he looks like yeah. Kratos, basically. Don't watch it. It's pretty no? terrible. <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay. Oh, lighten up, Cogsworth, and let nature take its course. It's obvious there's a spark between them. Yes,
10: but there's no harm in fanning the flames. You know, a little. Besides, they must fall in love tonight if we ever expect to be human again.
8: Ah, human again. Human again. Yes,
3: think what that means. I'll be cooking again. Be good-looking again With a mademoiselle on each arm When I'm human again Only human again Poised and polished and gleaming with charm I'll be courting again Chic and sporting again Which should call several husbands along <laughs> I'll hop down off this shelf And to sweet me myself and I can't I'm wait to, to be human again, again.
4: Only we'll human again. When knickknacks and whatnots no more. When we're human again, good and human again. Oh, Shelly
11: won't it all be top drawer? I'll wear lipstick and rouge, and I won't be so huge. While easily fit through that door. I'll exude
2: savoir faire. I'll wear gowns. I'll have hair. It's my prayer to be human again.
4: When we're
10: human again, only human again When the world once more starts making sense I'll unwind for a change Really?
3: That'd be strange Can
10: I help it if i touch the tense? In a shack by the sea, I'll sit back sipping tea Let my early retirement commence Far from fools made of wax, I'll get down to
4: brass tacks And when i do human again.
0: Other half of the equation of the linchpins of the two things that needed to be in this film to grab humanity by the jaffers, Beauty and the Beast. This song. Now, when I was a kid, this was the dull point of the milk removed me. I was like, ah, it's two people dancing. What an idiot! I want to go back and slap myself. <laughs> i was like, you know what? Enough with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, little Alex. Okay, watch this. This you may not know. This is animation perfection Mm. this song absolutely grabs me now didn't before but now it does and uh this is the thing you bring people in and say it's going to be a great big party and then they start to care and then when they care you deliver them this and you just grab them by the heart
5: and also correct me if i'm wrong here uh, daniel but i believe this is one of the first instances of combining traditional 2d animation with 3d animation uh this it's, ballroom scene
7: it's much there were some earlier examples in some previous films but this is much more extensive and in fact it might be in the previous examples i think they generally they did have some 3d backgrounds but a lot of them were still sort of painted by hand they were they just really used the 3d to kind of create the space and then kind of print out sort of a rough outlines and then they would kind of still paint them in traditionally i believe this is actually a full rendered 3d environment which i don't think has been done previously and it's Mm. it works very very well it's much less subtle subtle in the way that it is 3d in the way that it that they've been using it previously but it still works beautifully
6: it's got that early Pixar quality of everything being incredibly
7: shiny. It does.
6: By comparison. It's, you, can still tell. To
7: the- it's, you can still tell it's early.
6: Yeah. But, but then having it- said that, it does give that whole scene a sense of scale and expansiveness that I don't think... I mean, if you compare it to uh, something like the ballroom scene in Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. there's a size that goes with this one that that didn't seem to have in the same way.
7: Yeah, just those big sweeping camera movements really just tie in well, just with the emotion of the song happening and the emotion of seeing like kind of the beast sort of learning how to dance and just seeing that this relationship is happening at all and working and and coming to such this, such a perfect kind of beautiful point. It's a emotional height for the film in general and and just those big... Sweeping moves through this ballroom really, really helped kind of just glue all that together. And Angela Lansbury's performance too on this song, first take. Is, yeah, she didn't think she could do it. Nope. <laughs> and uh, just she, yeah. I think she
0: first heard um, Alan Menken. Alan Menken do his Taylor's oldest time, Tuna's oldest song. He's a way better composer than he is a singer. Yeah, um, he's, but then. He's not.
6: Singer, he has a a good singing voice, but he just has the one style,
0: yeah. Um, but then she heard Howard Ashman's Tale as Old as Time almost speaking, and she thought, No, I can do this. And uh, I don't know why she's a female Michael kane <laughs> no, I can do <laughs> she this, kind of is that bloody well can. Um, but but yeah, it's um, it's so heartfelt. I, I think it's possible that I didn't like this originally because Murder She Wrote was on so much that I was just tired of hearing Angela Lansbury and seeing her. But now I, I value this. And obviously she's not going to be with us forever. So um, it, it's, it's even sadder, especially connected with Howard.
6: See, I loved this version of it. I...
0: Well, not just sadder, sorry. More emotional, more sort of like a lot of different emotions mixed up in it. Carry okay, mm-hmm. on,
6: sorry. This was really my first exposure to Disney in any major way. When I was, I must have been about 14, and this was out on VHS, and the kids across the road who I babysat for had about three videos. They had this, Jurassic Park, and then something else that I had absolutely no interest in. So basically, every Saturday for about eight months, I watched Beauty and the Beast. And I... adored this song so much the celine dion version not so much
0: ironically now i really like that as well (laughs) didn't before do now Uh, hang on weren't these the same kids that forced you to watch jurassic park over and over again until you hated it
6: uh yes like i said that was the other thing they had on vhs
0: well how come you love beauty and the beast but hated jurassic park
6: Because Jurassic Park was the one that they put on before they went to bed. Beauty and the Beast was the one I put on after they went to bed.
0: Okay, you know what? I, I can hardly uh, attack your tastes when I didn't like this film's music <laughs> originally. Oh no, no I liked all the other songs, but I didn't like this this song specifically that much. I just looked at it and thought, "Well, they're dancing, so what?" Now they're going to get all kissy and lovey dovey. But there's just
6: a kissing movie. This,
0: yeah, I was just that stupid kid in played by Fred Savage. That, that's who played me when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> there's a point, and I wonder if you guys know it—the the point where she gives the point where she goes yeah okay um and it's it's it's, there's a lot of smiling a lot of bowing a lot of curtsying and a lot of dancing but there's a point where she actually sort of gives herself over and it's anyone
6: it's when she puts his hand on her waist
0: i was gonna say that was that's something that you kind of have to observe that's another one of the frivolity it's something that she doesn't have to do i'll give you a clue as soon as she does it he goes hey guys
6: Oh, oh she, she puts her head yeah. on his shoulder.
0: Yeah, that's the point when he suddenly goes, "Oh God," and it's appropriate because in Aladdin, the moment that Jasmine finally accepts Aladdin for whoever he is is when she goes, "Okay, I'll take your Prince Ali story," and puts her head on his shoulder. That's kind of the the Disney shorthand for it's it's almost like a, 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 a Jane Austen relationship that is more significant than a kiss.
6: Mm. yeah that's true yeah
0: because a kiss is like this sort of um
6: the kiss is inevitable yeah so that inevitable is, in fact that you can ignore it
0: that is something that briar rose never did with prince
7: philip
6: <gasps> no she didn't did she it's,
7: no nope. that's it's a gesture they of never knew each other trust and comfortable and being comfortable around a person yeah in a, in a much which is in a way because the kiss is so often looked at as the romantic gesture. This is much more intimate than human feeling. Yeah to add to that, by and large, children don't
0: kiss each other on the lips, and they sure as hell don't kiss adults on the lips unless you've got that one aunt who's just like, "No, no, 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 oh brilliant the lips again, thank you, thank you, auntie. But a child completely understands putting their head on someone's shoulder and what that means, doing it voluntarily and for mutual comfort. This conveys to children who are not yet old enough to realise the mystical charms of that level of intimacy of kiss, they understand the head on the shoulder.
11: A little scared Neither one prepared Beauty and the beast Ever just the same Ever a surprise Ever as before Ever just as sure As the sun will rise as old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you were wrong Certain as the sun Rising in the east Tame as old as time Song as old as rhyme Beauty and the peace Tale as old as time Song as old as rhyme
4: Beauty and the beast
11: Off to the cupboard with you now, Chip It's past your bedtime
2: not love
0: If you love Disney at its best and you've not listened to my audio drama, The Princess Thieves, you need to remedy that right away. This is a satirical love letter to Disney princess stories and the hero's journey, and it will delight you. Here's a clip.
12: In the main courtyard, Robin was instructing Gwendolyn in how to comport herself on the streets of London in their new guises, utilising... Purloined clothing from the knives. This jacket smells of beer and sweat.
0: Good. It has to make you somewhat repellent, but not so foul-smelling that people remember you.
14: I'll never get this odour out of my skin.
0: Well, you can have a luxurious bath when you get back.
14: Hmm. Do you take baths? I mean, you smell lovely. I mean, you smell alright. I mean, most of the time. I mean, when we were in the trunk...
0: Yes, yes, Princess, I take baths. Even the impoverished can muster hot water. Now tie your hair back and hide it under your collar. It's far too eye-catching to leave out on display. We need as few things as possible for Viola to have to hide.
14: There. Now if I pull this cap all the way down, I look plain and ugly and boring.
0: (sighs) nope, you're still radiant. Even if we grime your face up, your posture just makes you stand out. Um... Show me how you walk.
14: Do you mean at court, or to my horse, or greeting a dignitary, or addressing a crowd? I have six different walks, Master Hood. All of them perfected over years of hard practice.
0: Just show me how you walk down a street.
14: Well, I suppose it's not dissimilar to walking to one's carriage. Here. <sighs> she stepped with
12: elegant strides, holding her head aloft.
0: Okay, now you've been mugged.
12: Well, not you show me? Robin adopted a slower pace, slumped his shoulders and allowed his left-right movements to pull him into a natural lope that suggested resignation to defeat.
14: That's not how you walk, though. I've seen you.
12: At this, she rushed in front of him and strode past, swaying her hips in a swagger, flashing him a grin as she sauntered past.
14: You walk like you own the street, as though if someone were to stop you they'd get either a choke... Or a fight, or a kiss.
0: That's when I want to attract attention to myself. When I want to charm someone, or annoy them, or intimidate them. Very much in control. It's the artful Dodger. And you want to be thinking Oliver.
14: Oliver whom?
0: Oh, by Thrail Copperhelm, you're reading the wrong books.
14: I read all sorts of wonderful books.
0: Have you read Nicholas Nickleby?
14: No. Have you read What Katie Did? This isn't a competition.
0: Have you read A Tale of Two Cities?
14: I've read Frankenstein.
0: That doesn't help us. We can't have you lurching around London like the monster.
14: I can walk like Victor.
0: Better, but he's still not your common everyday street urchin that the world chooses to ignore.
14: Right. Well, I can try walking like Oberon. (laughs)
0: Listen to me. The people of London, the ones we're going to be walking around, are not in control of their lives. They want to be, but they know they aren't. Your walk has to reflect that. You need, you need to feel like there's a weight pressing down on you and a rope pulling you forward. It's like you keep moving so you don't collapse and die in the gutter. The ones with pride attract attention to themselves. We can't be that right now, so just do this.
12: He loped again, kept his head down, kept his movements light and adopted something of a scowl. Good Lord, how do they find the energy to get out of bed in the morning?
0: If they want to feed their families, they find the energy. Simple as that. So, no more swagger, not until you're back home.
12: They paced past one another several more times until Gwen's demeanour was suitably lowered and her sachet had turned into a waddle. They stopped and stood beside the cart. Robin, looking up into her face. Gwendolyn... Looking down into his, Robin's moustache twitched.
0: Much better. It's as though you were born on the street.
12: Thank you. Thank you.
14: I've spent my life reshaping my behaviour for the benefit of others. So I'm quite used to that sort of thing by now. Nearly all of my mind and body is on
12: loan.
0: And the rest of you?
12: Gwen straightened up, her lip curling as she studied the dwarf, That's a secret. Not many are allowed in there. Robin breathed deeply to find, unavoidably through the sweat and beer, that he had caught the scent of her hair. He took a step backward as he let out a sigh.
0: (sighs) Wonderful. I think you're ready for the real London. Go find your bodyguard and we'll hit the road again.
12: Gwendolyn frowned and turned on her heel, walking with that accomplished state of defeat as she shot out her nursemaid, me.
0: The Princess Thieves will be available for a limited time in free podcast form before it goes to the audiobook at Bandcamp and gets released on the Kindle Store. So then he shows her the the mirror and she sees her father's sick and he may be dying and uh he decides to let her go now my logical Cogsworth side kicked in and went wait a second you just let her wander out into a wolf laden forest (laughs) to get a dying man back to safety where she doesn't really know the way on a horse and then he sort of he roars his uh, his his sadness about this. Why not go with her and bring him back to the castle? Um, and then my Cogsworth mind was tapped on the shoulder by my Lumiere mind and went, uh, my, my Lumiere heart and went, Cogsworth, he thinks he
8: is bad for the girl.
5: Well, and it also links into that old saying: if you do love something, you let it go, you let yeah. it free. And they actually, they actually have that conversation. I believe Cogsworth and Lumiere go, "Why, why, yeah. why did you let her go?" And he says, "Because I love her. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's what love is. You know, being able to understand what's truly important to the other person and just mm. letting them do it." Of course, love can also come with trying to protect that. But oh yeah, yeah, the no, absolutely. that you know are out there and hungry. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> I, I think. This scene is more about symbolism of than it is.
0: realism than yeah. the, the logic and the beast going. What I set up an intricate series of tunnels so we can get your father back. No, it's um, it, it all. It does actually tie in with the fact that he has, and this maybe again me reading too much in, uh, into it. He's um, moped and loped around the castle for so long that he started to think that he is bad deep inside, and to let her go and be free of this he accepts his fate and just goes, you know what, you really will be better going, and I'm actually not going to spend another second with you because I need to free you of me. That's basically... So, you know, when he's on the roof, you know, sort of uh, feeling sorry for himself, that's what he's... He's basically despairing at that stage. He's not deciding, I'm going to let her go, and now I feel like a better person and that um, my, my life will be enriched by this. He's lost at that stage. hmm because he's yeah, now loved and lost, and it's not better than uh, than never having loved at all. At least at uh, the exact time that you're you're feeling that sharp, sharp pain.
7: It doesn't feel like a strategic move, like it. Because no. at that point, like it's I'm in love with her, and it looks like she loves me. And if the, to the sort of tactical, strategic mind, like that's sort of we're very near breaking this curse. He's not even thinking about that anymore at What's this stuff? point. He's completely just he cares about her, and he's basically just accepting that. I, I suppose just knowing how much time he actually has left that in letting her go and do this, I'm giving up and I'm losing and I'm just, I'm yeah. not going to, it's like this, it's going to wilt and, and I'm done. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Uh, and the self-sacrifice is repeated throughout uh, Disney, especially throughout this period. Okay, so tinfoil hats on, folks. Gaston wants Belle, but she wants to be with the Beast, so he makes the townspeople terrified of a bogeyman and drums them into a homicidal frenzy just so he can go to war, prove he's the strongest, and take what's his. That's a decade-early premonition of the Bush administration circa 9-11, as is the further demonising of Islamics in order to gain and retain control. From a frightened people, they are outlining how utterly cowardly it is to go seeking to destroy an enemy that hasn't even done anything to you.
5: Yeah. Well, I, I was reminded of the Iliad, actually. Now that you mentioned that, like the the, the Battle of Troy, where the, they he managed to convince all these soldiers to go to war because. This guy stole his girlfriend, basically. Yeah. It, it's just it's completely and utterly selfish and and obviously there are no fatalities in this film, but you know, it is very uh similar to that. It's a it's a similar situation. There it's is one. Yeah, oh, technically oh, yeah. there is a fatality and an <laughs> ironic one. <laughs>
0: This song shares a similarity with another song coming up. When it's time to take some action, boys, it's time to follow me. It's Alan Banking, boys, they're savages, savages, barely even human. It's the same scenario. Yeah. Only there's a kind of a suggestion that, uh, oh, hey, you know, when the uh, the white man fought the red man, it was kind of, you know, Six of one and half a dozen of the other. They're both to blame, really. Whoa, we're going to have big words to talk over when we get to (laughs) Pocahontas.
9: Anyway. Not safe till his head is mounted on my wall. I say we kill the beast not safe until he's dead. He'll come stalking us at night. Said to sacrifice our children to his monstrous oh. appetite. He'll wreak havoc on our village if we let him wander free. So it's time to take some action, boys. It's time to follow me. the woods, through the darkness and the shadows It's a nightmare, but it's one exciting ride Say a prayer, then we're there At the drawbridge of a castle And there's something truly terrible inside It's a beast, he's got fangs, razor sharp ones Massive pause, kill claws clause for the feast oh. Hear him roar, see him foam But we're not coming home Till he's dead Good and dead
1: Radical Islamic terrorism Which we will eradicate completely From the
9: face of the earth Kill the beast No, I won't let you do this If you're not with us, you're against us Bring the old man Get your hand me. We can't have them running off to warn the creature Let us out We'll rid the village of this beast! Who's with me? Let yeah. 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 your torch out your horse Screw your courage to the sticking place We're counting on Gaston to lead the way Through a mist to a wood where are within a haunted
4: castle Something's lurking that you don't see every day It's a beast on as tall as a mountain We won't rest till he's good and deceased sally
9: forth, trally-ho Grab your sword, grab your cloak
2: I have to warn the beast. This is all my fault. Oh, Papa, what are we going to do? Now,
9: no, we'll think of something. Oh! We don't like what we don't. Understand, in fact, it scares
0: us. And this monster is mysterious at least. Bring your guns, bring your knives. Save your children and your boys. So the big fight uh, takes place. This is probably the low point of the movie because there's so much buffoonery here. I mean, it's it's fun and it's funny. I suppose they kind of need to give you this um, the, the slapsticky stuff because it's about to get so heavy that they kind of almost make you... They almost sicken you with this level of silliness and childishness and slapstick so, to the point where you actually embrace the melodrama coming up.
7: Yeah, I don't know if you can put Lemire and Miss Potts in a actual intense battle <laughs> scene and have it not be really terrifying because yeah. you, like, it's... She's I, I very it does,
0: smashable and he's very meltable.
7: <laughs> it, it does create some nice contrast with a much more serious battle that's about to happen.
0: Yeah. I sp- but you need it because, um, other, you know, Pocahontas actually call, calls to mind here. There's a reason why Sebastian and Cogsworth and uh, Abu and Iago are so important to those films. They make sure that it never, as I said, disappears up its own melodrama or romance, and it never gets too over the top with it. Pocahontas, they shoved in Flit and Miko just to amuse the kids, because it's a very melodramatic romance the whole way through. It's very serious all the time, and there's no one to say... You know, no animal companion to say to Pocahontas, you really have to stay away from this guy. She just gets it from her father, who may as well be Triton, and Grandmother Willow. The way they handle the, the companions in, in Pocahontas is in fairly sharp contrast with how the uh, the companions are handled here. They, they very much serve a purpose here beyond clownery. And we've already gone into why they're so important for the Beast's story. Ah, oh, you could you could lift Flit and um, uh, Miko out of Pocahontas, and it'd be exactly the same story. So, how does Gaston prove his lack of humanity and indeed his lack of manhood during this fight on the roof with the
6: Beast? Well, he loses it big time when he realises that the beast isn't going to fight
5: back.
0: Mm-hmm. That's one.
5: He, sh- he shoots uh, him in the back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he stabs him in the back. He attacks uh, an unwilling to fight creature and uh, is unrepentant and then cowers and blubbers when uh, he-, he loses. There's nothing about this fight that makes Gaston a man at all. This is yeah. basically where you see the real Gaston. Um, that that whole uh, thing about uh, I think it was a seraph in uh, Matrix Reloaded who says that you don't really know a person until you fight them Uh, Beast gets to know the real Gaston in a way that none of the townspeople do but when Beast is laid low, Beast is actually stabbed, Beast is actually bleeding out and, and dying, they sustain this moment It would have been very easy for them to just go hop, skip, and jump. And, uh, you know, oh, oh, it's actually it's all fine. Like she kisses him and then actually it's fine. But they sustain the death so that you get a full rebirth without that moment of uh, the music rising up and then going quiet again to say, "No, no, no, it's actually happened now, folks. That kind of, you know, you get the melodrama. And then you get a little bit after it, so you it actually you get to absorb the, the 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 gravity of it before you get the the turnaround and the comeback. That's expertly managed.
6: It is. I think when we were watching it today, it had Lyra completely convinced. Yeah. And she's seen it before.
7: The very okay. long build on the revive as well. Just a, just the a build, building music as it goes. And just beautifully drawn by Glen Keane, just uh, that whole revival sequence mm. you, you
8: came back.
2: Of course I came back. I couldn't let them. Oh, this is all my fault. If only I'd gotten here sooner. Maybe it's better. It's better this way. Don't talk like that. You'll be all right. We're together now. Everything's going to be fine. You'll see.
8: And at least I got to see you one last time.
2: please 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 don't leave me (laughs) I love you
0: as we've said the success of Disney in the years after Oliver and Company was down to the influence of songwriter Howard Ashman and their weakest point between now and then was when they ran hard in the other direction in many ways what he taught them encapsulated the best Disney could be Howard was diagnosed as HIV positive in 1988, midway through the making of Mermaid. As Beast continued, he grew weaker, but remained productive and continued to write songs. After the first screening for Beauty and the Beast on March 10th, 1991, the animators visited Ashman in the hospital. This is an excerpt
9: from Waking Sleeping Beauty. He was an amazing influence on everybody. I don't want to compare him to Walt, but on the other hand, he had that kind of influence on everybody.
15: Before Beauty and the Beast was finished, we threw a big dog and pony show for the New York press where we showed some of the clips from the film and Alan sang some of the songs. I don't think we had, could have ever imagined a, a more enraptured reception to the movie and the songs. And we all were very excited about the idea of sharing this with Howard. We wanted him to hear the news.
6: And then we all jumped in the cab, and we raced downtown to St. Vincent's.
15: We rushed from the press presentation, which, as rough as it was, was a huge success. We were high from it, and we came into the cold shock of Howard dying in a hospital room. His mother pulled back the sheets to show us the Beauty and the Beast sweatshirt that he was wearing. He was 80 pounds, had lost his sight, and barely had a whisper of a voice. We shared with him what happened that day and how amazing it was, and how he was there in every way. Then, when it was time to leave, we each said our goodbyes. Before I left, I bent over and whispered, Beauty and the Beast was gonna be a great success. Who'd have thought it, I said. And Howard lit up and whispered, I would.
0: On March 14th, Ashman, age 40, died. Beauty and the Beast is dedicated to our friend Howard, who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul. We will be forever grateful.
6: Something about the music for this part as well. If you listen, as the beast transforms, as the the light falls around and the enchantment starts to melt away, they play the riff from the earlier songs. um, Which is, oh, isn't this amazing? And new and a bit alarming. So I had those two lines running in my head over and over again throughout this transformation scene. Yeah.
0: It's a wonderful triumphant moment for animation in general at this stage. The, it's, it's just that kind of air punch moment. I suppose audiences may have actually sort of held their breath and kind of, do you think they might actually kill, kill the beast at this point and make us sad? I would have liked to have been in the cinema first time around for this.
5: 'Cause they, they really sell it. Like yeah. I know we've already said this, but I think it's worth emphasizing. They really sell his death. Yeah. Um not not It is just, a good death. Yeah and not only because they linger on it for such a long time but the animation for the beast and the the performance I, I forget the voice actor's name I'm I'm terribly sorry Robbie Benson but, but he's out of breath he's struggling to mm. keep together but he he managed he manages to summon up enough energy to tell bell I'm just you know I'm glad I got to see you one last time and then he you know silence it's it's br- just I, I keep using um, superlatives throughout this podcast, and I'm terribly sorry, but I really love this film. And I think one of the reasons why is it executes moments like that brilliantly. Um, and, yeah, it's why it's one of my favorite Disney films of all time. Now that you mention it, I think that may have been one of the inspirational performances for
0: that, in, that informed on how I finished Batman Breakdown.
7: Mm. Yeah, the fact that after the beast kind of falls dead and there's that, all that morning moment, the fact that it then cuts also to the rose and we see the last petal fall. Something about that kind of cements, like when you're kind of in that, did he really just die? Is he actually yeah. dying? Something about the petal falling also cements. Yeah, we lost like yeah. he's, he like he did not make it. And this is an actual loss and it's done.
6: There's also something the about
7: fact, that really sells it.
6: Yeah. There's also the fact that Gaston has just died. So th- there's there's kind of almost that feeling of if the beast does die at this point, of course it's incredibly sad, but there's also a symmetry about it.
0: Mm. And Belle the, is safe.
6: The, and Belle is safe, exactly. Gaston is the threat to her now that the threat is gone. In a way, the beast can kind of lay down his arms and, and be at peace. So like the end so, of Titanic then? Yeah. Yeah, it would, that would kind of work. But I mean, I, I love the way uh, Gaston's death is handled anyway. I know they do the Disney thing of they fall and therefore it's... Nine nothing, out of ten you know. Disney
0: deaths are falling from a great yeah, height. Yeah,
6: because then you don't have to see the corpse because it's the, way away down the bottom of a cliff.
0: With the occasional accidental hanging.
6: <laughs> Indeed. But uh, but no, I mean, the thing about Gaston's death is it really is entirely his own fault. Because if you look at that scene, when he uh, he's stabbed the beast and then there's the scrabbling and they both start to fall. The reason that the beast doesn't fall is because Belle catches him.
0: Yeah. No if one's catching Gaston. Nobody is catching Gaston.
6: Gaston. Exactly. Nobody's pushing him either, but yeah. nobody's catching him
0: any more on the death and rebirth moment aside from the fact that all of the hideous gargoyles in the castle suddenly become beautiful again the idea being that this curse is actually extended to the very architecture around the beast and that everything that uh, that as i said this this castle is him and so to, to bring him back from that an act of true unselfishness followed by uh the um by somebody actually realizing what a worthwhile person he really is, and for him to then realize that himself, that basically just banishes all of this, all of these misgivings he has about himself, symbolized in these gargoyles. It's important to have a, an ugly gargoyle or two in your in your uh, attic, but um, but not to be dominated by them. Yeah. Okay. So at the very very end. <laughs> <laughs> There's the dancing in the clouds scene from uh, Sleeping Beauty, which wasn't that also sort of an, an effigy of uh, Cinderella?
6: I think so. Yes.
0: There's, the, but it's it's very simple. You know, it's it's, it's a, a they
6: have to end on a ballroom dance, a tall
0: crane shot, and they're just dancing round and round. And uh, the Beast is uh, has turned into a fantastic. I almost like imagine. Remember that bit in uh, Harry Potter six where um, Luna fixes Harry's nose? How, how do I look?
14: Exceptionally
12: ordinary. Brilliant.
0: I mean, that's good enough for Beast. He's, he's fine looking like he does. I think that most of the audience were like, oh, I, I probably would have been fine with the Beast just coming back to life and not being a prince, actually.
4: Mm.
0: <laughs> well, you know, being a prince, but not being necessarily human. Being human's overrated. But then again, we kind of need the uh, the, 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 the servants, the, the, the people of the house, to also have their lives back. So it's, yeah. it's very important.
6: Although it would be perfectly reasonable to ask at that point, how come that outfit still fits him? Yeah, it should fall (laughs) off him
0: like Hulk's pants. (laughs) Also, Lumiere and Cogsworth, when they bicker again, um, they're standing underneath a candelabra and Cogsworth has a watch hanging off him.
6: And the hands of the watch are in the same position as As his his face was when he was a clock.
0: I I like the fact that, that by necessity, uh, Cogsworth's moustache is technically skew with it's like one side shorter than the other, because it would have to be. It it makes him seem like very, very organised, but there's just a little bit of raggedy around the edges. When he was shaving. Yeah. (laughs) he's hoping people don't notice.
6: And because they like him, most of them don't, on purpose. And we get that
0: pop version of Beauty and the Beast. And this is probably the bit that dates it the most, because that kind of... Dun, 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 dun. That kind of, um, uh, I suppose it's synth really that sort of uh, creeps in there is very '80s. So they haven't quite extricated themselves from maybe not necessarily very '80s, but late '80s, early '90s. This is the magic of Disney type presentation stuff.
7: And it's totally '90s pop ballads. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah got, it got, does got. date.
0: Peebo Bryson and Celine Dion of the aforementioned Titanic and again I started to really warm to this song it's it's, it's a cheesy version of it it doesn't grab me in any way near as the other one but it's got that kind of like you know it's transportive because it's so dated and then there's that dedication to Howard Ashman at the end
7: it's hard not to wonder what the Disney renaissance would have looked like if he had not been lost so early on in it
0: yeah it would have been even better. No doubt about it.
7: Yeah. Yep. Any more on Beauty and the Beast? Worth noting, it was the first... I mean, it's not, most people know this, but it was the first animated film ever nominated for Best Picture. It was. In, in history. What's we'll Silence other ones,
0: of the Lambs? Oh, well. All of this <laughs> loses to... I like *Silence of the Lambs*. It's a good detective thriller, and it's a good serial killer thriller. It's really quite good. <laughs> Jesus Christ!
7: There have been a lot of fantastic Disney animated films since *Beauty and the Beast*, but I think I would rate this as Disney Animation's greatest achievement. Still, I mean, some, even some of the films they've made may have surpassed *Beauty and the Beast* in specific ways, but oh, yeah. in terms of just being a complete package, in and in terms of execution. And at the and, time specifically, yeah. Yeah, and story and character and the art and the music and the entertainment value and the drama. it's Beauty and the Beast is the closest contender to being perfect of all the Disney animation films. Yeah. It's the one that all future Disney animated films are still judged against.
3: Yeah.
7: Yeah,
5: I feel exactly the same way as Daniel. Like I, I think in many ways Beauty and the Beast is a simple film but it executes every element to the utmost quality uh, it, it's you know it's the template disney film done to perfection as daniel says
6: i think the closing image with the going back to the stained glass window to finish it off really gives it that sense of closing a circle yeah. for me and given that you've just had this ballroom shot in the, the classic animation style that kind of closes the circle back on Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella um, it, it just it it's almost as if they're saying to the audience this is where we're, we're going back but going forward at the same time and that they're going to, that they intend to move on in the same vein.
0: Yeah. And this was huge. I mean, uh, Little Mermaid was big, but Beauty and the Beast grabbed people.
1: In almost every musical ever written,
0: there's a place, it's usually about the third song of the evening. Sometimes it's the second, sometimes it's the fourth, but it's quite early. And the leading lady usually sits down on something. Sometimes it's a tree stump in Brigadoon. Sometimes it's um, under the pillars of Covent Garden in My Fair Lady. Or it's a trash can in Little Shop of Horrors. But the leading lady sits down on something and sings about what she wants in life. And the audience falls in love with her and then roots for her to get it for the rest of the night. So I think that one wraps it up. We will be back next week with Aladdin. As we continue the Disney animated classics. Thank you very much to Joshua Garrity. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Daniel Floyd. It's been a pleasure. I've been Alex Shaw.
6: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And Neural Neural Handshake handshake complete. Complete.
8: Is it my turn? Wouldn't I love
0: that stuff? Really, it's. Was, I'm,
2: it's am I staring. still a little too loud? You're great. Oh, better you're you're, you're
0: better. great, but you are. It gets a little bright in here. But, yeah.
2: What would
13: I give if I could live
15: out of these waters?
0: The intensity mm-hmm. is better than. What would I give is better than,
15: than the noise. Moment.
4: Yeah,
0: right. but you're not doing it a It's But it's, it's inner
4: intensity.